everybody, and welcome back to some interseason goodness from the sequelizers. I am your host, as always, Jack Chambers, and joining me, also as always, it's Matt Stockton. Konbanwa, Jack-san. Amina-san. Anime wa saiko. And that's it. That might be one of your more coherent intros there, Matt, in a language that is not your first. There's, there's, there's yeah. some irony in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hi, hi, hi. Sorry, Sugoi. <laughs> Sugoi! <laughs> if you hadn't already guessed, no, not yet. <laughs> some people probably already guessed by now. But also joining Matthew and me, it's Tim Matum. Coming up later, it's the hot new trend among teens. It's called Japanimation, and it's not as innocent. As it seems. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this is our episode about Japanimation, everybody. <laughs> hey, that's what we called it for a while. I, I remember. I remember those days. Even I'm old enough to remember those days. Mm. And I'm the whippersnapper in these parts. <laughs> I remember Toonami and Japanimation. Well, we will be discussing some animated films from Japan and some not-so-animated films related to those films. But before we get to talking about live-action anime adaptations, I'd like to say thanks to our lovely patrons. You can go to patreon.com slash sequelizers and support us on a variety of different levels for ad-free episodes, early access, exclusive merch, merch discounts, bonus episodes and content, loads of good stuff. And if you support us at the upper tiers, the £30 or the £50, you can become an executive producer like these wonderful folks here. Mr. Mike Salvia. Mr. Stuart Main. Andrew Steen. Joshua van der Sluis. The man known only as Xenos. Our latest executive producer, Josh Miles. I don't care for your grandmother, so believe it! And the man who picked this very episode for us to discuss on this interseason. Mr. Jonathan Firth Clark. Ka me ka me. Thank you much for your support, gentlemen. We really appreciate it, and uh, thank you especially to Jonathan for picking this episode for us to discuss live action anime. Because, oh boy, there's a lot to talk about. And Matthew, I feel like this is a moment you've been waiting for since episode one. Insert crack knuckle noise here. <laughs> the man wearing the anime hoodie as we speak. Yeah, I'm wearing a Sailor Moon top. Okay. So Tim and I are gonna, just going to go for a break and we'll, leave you yeah. we'll, we'll be back <laughs> yeah. in like 40 I, minutes. I know a lot of people tune out. Now, basically, if somebody is really into or passionate about anything, there's a tweet about this recently, where if somebody says that they, they really enjoy the experience where someone says, what do you think of this? And they go, okay, okay, so, right, hang That's on. That's every conversation with you, Matt. <laughs> yeah, because I'm passionate about stuff. Yeah, you are. I yeah. appreciate it about you. That's nice. But the problem is people will tune out at some point. You know, oh, I'm really passionate about baseball. I'm really passionate about Korean... Pottery. Food. Pottery, that's exactly it, yes. Food's, food's the thing we can all associate with because food's great. But there are always things people are passionate about that just ain't your shit. And we know in these interseason episodes, there are 
times where we go off on tangents or we'll talk about certain adaptations and people go, I haven't seen that. And I'm not really that bothered. I mean, a perfect example was us talking about Bond not so long ago. Where yes. we're in this weird, like, we're of the age and growing up in the UK and all that kind of stuff, we just seem like, well, everybody knows Bond, right? Mm. Everybody's seen basically every Bond because your dad sat you down once in the living room and was like, right, son, you're going to become a man and you're going to watch <laughs> some James Bond with me. But actually, this that doesn't happen to everybody. Exactly, yeah. It doesn't actually happen to everybody, especially people not in the UK where Bond isn't such a, like... Just instilled cultural in institution. Culture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Such a cultural institution. We can't. I feel like we kind of take some of that stuff for granted. And on the other side of things, as much as it's grown popular, you know, over the last couple of decades or so, I'd say anime and manga and like the the influence of Japanese culture into Western culture is still not as big as 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 it is outside of certain circles and certain certain groups of people. I I am very much the canary in the mineshaft here uh, because I am... Bird in the hole. You're the bird in the hole. Yes, I am the hole hole bird um, (laughs) because I I have some familiarity with anime uh, and manga, but very limited. Um, And so for people who feel like this episode is going to be out of their depth, I I am there with you uh, and I will try and (laughs) rein in our two... Uh, weeaboos if they if they get too far off the reservation. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I think there's there's clearly three stages of hell to this, <laughs> to this <laughs> level of weebness. There's it's very true. clear, very clearly Tim. I am very clearly in the middle, and then there's Matthew. There, there, uh, well, there is yes. I I would agree and disagree because there's people beyond you, Matt. That the three of us is very clearly that. I'm not saying you're king of the weebs. No, no. you're like. Prince of the Weebs. I'll Arc, take it. Archduke. <laughs> I'll take it. Um, no, uh, it, it's... it's uh, The thing I was trying to get to was we're going to have to have a bit of an explainer first for those who are not uh, au fait with the whole thing. So it's going to come across as condescending to some people who already know what I'm talking about and hopefully informative to those who don't. So the reason I think Jack is much closer to I am than he is in Tim on the spectrum is because Jack has been to Japan and bought a figure. Therefore, Jack is as weeby as it gets. <laughs> There's like a level. Touché, Jack has sir. seen Touché. things outside of the cliche anime. Therefore, he is. And Jack owns cl- clothing with anime shit on it. Therefore, a lot. I own like mm, four or five. That's <laughs> more, that's more than, than that's more than zero. Yeah, it's the okay, thing. So that's it, it's, it's like it, it's like counting if you're a cat lady. It's like if you own <laughs> if you own one anime figure, that's fine. If you own two, they're keeping each other company. That's fine. As soon as you get three, sorry, you're a weeb. Mm, you got me there, Tim. You've got me there. <laughs> I, I mean. All you need is one anime figure with big old tits, and you're like, "Yep, yeah, welcome." Each 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 breast counts as two figures. Yes. Okay. None of mine have those, thankfully. I'm 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 quite tasteful. Yeah. So to give a very very brief explainer, a very a potted history. I would. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you, Tim. Japanese animation has been around for decades, since effectively the 50s and 60s, as long as television has been around. Um, in the same way that animated movies in the West have been around forever. They have their own quirks, tropes, and traits that are reflective of that particular society, but also with a big global outlook at the same time, so they're quite relatable to people. Most importantly, they are very important for a very specific generation onwards. Um, Usually parts of Gen X, but millennials onwards. I'm not excluding Gen X, I'm just saying that because of when these things became more available. So for example, for me, on the older end of millennial, I saw a very limited run of animated stuff. So there wasn't anything on television, 
Pokemon was the first big, real, big syndication stuff, In if we're being honest with ourselves. Yes, Dragon Ball was around, but we're talking about mainstream television that everyone can see. You're talking my language here, Matthew. Yeah. Carry on. But before that, you had videotapes of what you could fucking get your hands on. And there was oh, essentially the tape this, trading days. Yeah, the, man, <laughs> Deep, the, the manga days. entertainment. Mm. And that was the starting sort of starter kit of, here's Ghost in the Shell, here's Akira, here's um, a handful of other things, and that's it. You've got, you know, that, that's your starter kit. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it means I have a lot of fondness for shit. <laughs> um, like Amon Saga and Vampire Hunters and other bullshit, like films from the 80s and 70s, like really meh quality anime because it was very hard to get a hold of. Um, and you have to sort of cut your teeth on stuff. And the thing about anime is it's not just a case of, ah, it's all the same. It's all boys in high school, isn't it? No. Mm. The genres are as diverse as it's like it's like comics you can make a comic or a or even books. yeah it's all about superheroes right <laughs> yeah obviously that's all it is Capes, that, nothing yeah else. exactly yeah so there's um music sports horror comedy slice of life stuff there's everything obviously it's just in a, an animated format with this usually with a very specific design uh that's quite it's often like hyper stylized and whether, oh, yes, whether that's so. some of them go for a more realistic vibe and a more realistic style or surrealist or yes over-the-top, wacky cartoons. There's something we'll get into is kind of some of the signature yeah. aspects <laughs> and styles and, and yeah, lack of physics and mm. uh, shape-shifting expressions and all that kind of stuff. It's a very kind of signature style to anime. But yeah, I very much grew up, as you mentioned, Dragon Ball Z and Pokemon were mm. the first things I remember seeing. I vaguely remember seeing Sailor Moon when I was a kid, mm-hmm. but Dragon Ball was my thing. And I remember mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, my buddy had a trampoline... Um, I think he was like the rich kid of the group who I managed to befriend. And he had yeah, this fucking trampoline, Jesus. Exactly. He had this huge like back garden with like a, a mini forest like out on the land. Seriously, yeah. His dad his was dad's he an like, Earl? No, <laughs> his, his dad was like a uh, award winning architect. Wow. So he had He's the former all, all the monies. of anime. <laughs> exactly. And funny you should mention pottery because his his mum was a potter, like an award winning artist and potter. So yeah. You're an architect, Harry. <laughs> Anyway, we used to have like fake Dragon Ball fights on the trampoline. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. And I remember thinking like, God, it'd be so cool to be in like Dragon Ball. And we would hang out in his games room because yes, he was that posh <laughs> watching Dragon Ball. And I just thought it was the coolest fucking thing in the world. And I was like seven years old and it was just the best. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I think I was the, f- my dad had just got Sky for the first time and I saw Pokemon and it blew my mind and I ran into school like oh my god guys pokemon it's amazing and everyone what the fuck are you talking about jack don't be <laughs> stupid mm-hmm. like no, no it's gonna be huge it's gonna be amazing look i've got these cards and i was like got these trading cards i've got seen the <laughs> seen the cartoon i didn't know what an anime was at the time i called it a cartoon yeah. nobody believed me now who's laughed <laughs> the pokemon company nintendo that's yeah exactly <laughs> those motherfuckers they celebrate their 25th anniversary mm-hmm. with a post malone concert for some reason <laughs> And then I think that kind of kind of transitions nicely into the the growth of anime. Like, yes, yes. Um, Tim, Tim, did well. you grow up at all with it? Like, did you watch any of the like Dragon Balls and the Pokemon's and the Sailor Moons back in the day? And the you know Toonami on Cartoon Network is kind of what I grew up with. And all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Not that Matthew. Um, so age wise, I sit between you and Matt, and mm. I remember th- uh, very much what the the situation that Matt was talking about and how you'd go into the Virgin Megastore, and there yes. would be like uh, a world cinema slash anime section of VHSs, and it would all be 
like and you'd be like oh it's cartoons but they're they're rated 15 like oh my god um sexy blood yeah and i remember first being exposed to anime probably like late high school kind of 15 16 um and it very much being in that kind of like it it, it felt like an illicit product that there was that was very difficult to get over here um by that time it had probably opened up because because pokemon was around by that point but that in my mind, was very separated to mm. what quote-unquote anime was, which was the kind of more adult side of stuff. I, I definitely uh, didn't know they were the same thing for quite a few years. I had no idea yeah. that like Sailor Moon, Dragon Ball, Pokemon, mm. and I think I saw, as you mentioned, Matt, Ghost in the Shell or Akira or something like that yeah. when I was really young, as I am tend to do apparently. The guy who saw Predator 2 when he was like six and was very confused. <laughs> the kind of like, your dad's fallen asleep and you're watching TV at two o'clock in the morning when you shouldn't be up. And, oh, what's this? Weird, naked robots fighting each other. I have no idea what's going on. And, I ha- and I'm way too young to even know probably what Japan was in relation to like media and culture and stuff, <laughs> let alone that they make a specific style of cartoon that is also in TV and film. And it's all like, yeah, tied together. Yeah. Mm. And, and, I was certainly introduced to a lot of sort of what were considered early on some of the iconic, like more adult stuff. I never got into Dragon Ball Z, which I I associated with people who had Sky, which I think because it showed on the Cartoon Network, so I didn't have access to it, never got into it, never really watched Sailor Moon, never watched, you know, One Piece, which is obviously getting more up to date now and stuff like that. But um, so my associations with it were the more adult stuff. Um, And like my friend Gwen, who showed me, Evangelion and mm. Akira and uh, a lot of stuff like that, which the I thinking man's Bebop, I imagine. Yeah, which I kind of half watched and didn't really understand, basically. And I had a few bits. I had a a, a VHS copy of a one called Venus Wars, uh, which I was know that. which was about a gang of basically motor futuristic motocross riders taking on the government on Venus. Tim, I have that on DVD. Excellent. <laughs> of course you do, Matthew. It is Fuck's not sake. that good. <laughs> uh, which I, I remember really enjoying, but I also found and continue to find that I I just bounce off a lot of anime storytelling. And the same with manga. Like when, I, when I've got a around to trying do. to read manga, I both the combination of the fact that it's reading in the the opposite order to what i've trained myself <laughs> top it's right, right to, to bottom left, left. and and yeah. to say you're an experienced comic book reader i think is an understatement Tim. yeah like, and yeah. i do i do worry that it's almost like because i've spent so long reading comic books mm. trying to hack hack my brain to understand like no the story is progressing in a different yes manner is it makes it such an effortful reading process that i don't enjoy it um and i think there's there's a lot of stuff about kind of storytelling styles and themes that are important that are culturally relevant in Japan that just don't quite click into me. And so I've never, as much as I've been able to watch bits and pieces of anime and kind of appreciate the quality of the animation and quality of voice acting and stuff like that, it's something that it's, I wouldn't say I have to force myself to watch, but if I have a choice, I'm generally not going to watch it just because I know that there is that resistance in my brain, um, which I know like a lot of people suffer with things like subtitles, which I don't I, I, I don't mind reading subtitles, but it's the, it's more to do with the story mechanics, I find, um, that I and, and the emotional arcs that I don't quite 
click into. But I can definitely remember like seeing it back in the day and and being like, oh, this is this is interesting and it's so different to what we have over here. Um, but unfortunately, that didn't equal a fascination. That equal that that turned into a just kind of like, it's not for me. Which again, I think is not only completely reasonable, obviously, but also a lot of people's experience. Even now, people might go, they seem quite passionate about it. I'll watch something and go, nah, I don't like it. And that, and, and again, nothing wrong with that. You can, uh, if I'm saying, you know what I really love? I really love uh, 1940s noir. It's fucking amazing. So good. So rich. So detailed. So, and it's like, people watch it go, nah, it's all a bit stupid. I don't really like it. It's not, I, I can see why it's good probably, um, but it's not for me. And there's, again, that's just the nature of preference. That's perfectly fine. You can appreciate something as why it's good, but the nature of uh, the the actual level of enjoyment that comes with it isn't a prerequisite. It's not just going to be guaranteed. I think early cinema and anime have a weird connection in that way. And mm. I totally agree with you in some ways, Tim, that I find the storytelling methods, mechanics, and tropes in anime to be, to put it lightly, incredibly heavy-handed at times. <laughs> and I think a lot of early storytelling in terms of cinema falls into the same problems. Whether I have, I know I always say this, but already had it spoiled by more modern references or remakes or reboots or sequels that I've seen since then. You go back and watch like, well, obviously the butler did it because I know the butler did it because <laughs> the butler did it is a thing in pop culture now. Yeah. And you go back and watch a film where the butler did it, but it was the first one. I can't remember the example, Matt, where you, um, you talked about it was the first mm. time that somebody tried to start the car and it didn't work uh, and it, and it um, blew everybody's mind. Thank you. Uh, yeah, Double Indemnity, where they're like, it blew everyone's mind that the car didn't start in a movie. And now that is like the most overdone thing in every fucking <laughs> horror and zombie film. And just like, come on, come on, well, obviously, start, start, well, obviously the car's not going to start. Yeah, come on, come yeah, on. We just expect it. All that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Whereas that was a, like a really interesting revolutionary thing back in the day. Compare that to anime. I find a lot of it is very, very on the nose with visuals and yeah just like as you said Tim like emotional arcs a lot of it is like very in your face like hey if you don't understand this here is the thing mm. this person is thinking this thing whether there's literally like a voiceover which is quite common in a lot of the more like detective or like one I'm going to be talking about later funnily enough you spend a lot of time in the main character's head and you get an idea of all of that kind of stuff and again is a similar to what we're talking about with the novel adaptations where you it allows you to get in the space of a character in a slightly different way and how the voice actor acts and how the animation is done and whether they do that thing in anime where they like over-exaggerate all the expressions and make them go all extra cartoony and in an otherwise seemingly sort of realistic, you know, proportions and all that kind of stuff. I think that's quite common in anime. And I've found that I put off in a couple of shows before where I've just like, yeah, this is not for me. Like, um, perfect example, I don't know, Matt and you and I have talked about this before, but Pop Team Epic. Uh-huh. I tried so hard to get into that show, and I'm just like, ah, I just don't. Google it. I'm not going to explain it. It's weird. <laughs> just Google those three words, and it's weird, sweary girls voiced by different famous voice actors. This is the English dub I'm talking about, because I'm a dubs, not a subs kind of guy. I'm going to get a lot of hate for that. I think I've said it on the Probably. show before. It's fine. But like, really famous voice actors will just show up and be in that show playing teenage girls. And the voice acting completely changes every episode. It's completely standalone. It's all isolated and mental. And I was like, it's this, sketch this comedy is... Stuff. Yeah, it's all sketch comedy madness. And I was like, this is not my vibe. And this 
whatever type of comedy this is this is this is not working for me and so i i, I think that's where i'm somewhere in the middle where levels, I, I bounce levels, off yeah. a lot of a lot of the kind of tropes in the style of anime in certain ways yeah i think one of the problems that i have is that there's times where i'll watch stuff and it will be so unsubtle in its yes. storytelling that i will feel like like this is this is this is programs for toddlers like where people <laughs> are just like you know like literally just announcing their feelings um in very obvious ways but then there's also times where i'll be watching something and i'll be like i am missing out on subtleties here because of the language barrier and because of the cultural barrier and so i'm and sure there's translation stuff... issues from that language barrier as well, yeah. for sure so i'm sure there's stuff that i'm meant to be picking up on here that i just don't have the frame of reference for or they've you know possibly done a poor job translating or or subtitling or whatever and so it will simultaneously be a feeling of being like i'm being pandered to while also not being pandered to sufficiently (laughs) um and and i think there are certain cultural things that and this is where i'm going to wade into an area which i'm absolutely not qualified to and i'm going to make some generalizations that are probably very incorrect but um i feel like Japan has a culture of caring about things a lot. Like I know that their work culture is pretty insane in terms of mm-hmm. its demanding, and their similarly their education is incredibly demanding and stuff like that. And I think it instills a culture where if you're doing something, you care about it a hundred percent. And like I recently, a friend shared with me a um, a clip from what I think is quite uh, popular at the moment: uh, volleyball sports manga. A sports Haikyuu. anime? Haikyuu. Yeah, I believe, yeah. yeah. Um, and it was, like, the two main characters realising that, like, they wouldn't get to go to regionals. And it's and, and it's them, like, realising that, and then one throws a ball at a wall and starts screaming, and then the other one joins him screaming, just and they're both just running back and forward in this gym. <laughs> and I was like, it's just volleyball, guys. Like, I can't get my brain to that level where it's like... It's, uh, Whatever which, the subject of the anime is, that is the most important thing in that world. It's the most important thing yeah. in the world. Like, it is a volleyball anime, volleyball is the be-all and end-all yeah. of the world. Yes, and I'm like, I don't... I there's nothing in the world I feel like that about. <laughs> like I like doing this podcast, but not, if... not even your family and friends, Tim. I'm heartbroken. <laughs> but if like it's like, oh, turns out, guys, we didn't win the podcast award. I'm not going to throw my laptop through the window <sighs> and then scream into the wind. <laughs> that is exactly what I will do if I don't win an award. <laughs> it's what I have done when I haven't won awards. Um. What I do when I would do when it was as well. I, I I would like to make um a comparison here because I think mm. this is a kind of an important one, and I think it's a this is going to be where I start to exclude a lot of international listeners for a second. And I apologise because this is a very oh blimey, governor, what you talking about, Matthew? British point like of view, Danny yeah. apples and pears, shat on a turtle. <laughs> <laughs> Get, it works every time. Turtle, you've revealed yourself, son. We don't know what a turtle is. <laughs> Even a tortoise is pushing it. Um, a delicious Galapagos turtle. No, so <laughs> too delicious. <laughs> delicious. <laughs> That's a callback for fans, right? Um. So, I would like to highlight something. Living in a post World War Two world where we have the effective American Empire in all but name. Bear with me here. I always point this out when people say, "Oh, I don't like foreign films." 
I say, oh, would you not watch? Is it the language thing? No, I just don't. I don't. They don't. I don't know. Not for me. Fair enough. Fair enough. Before you carry on, this happened with the. Was it the Golden Globes they announced recently? And it was like foreign language film, and everyone yeah. freaked oh, out. Minari. Because, yeah. Yes. Because yep. it's a film so produced, starring, and written yeah. by a bunch of Americans. But whoops, some of it's Korean because they're Korean Americans. So Therefore, it's a foreign movie. Foreign movie. And as people pointed out, about sixty-five percent of. Uh, Inglorious Bastards is in foreign languages, but no one thinks yep. of that as a foreign language film. It, thank you. It's exactly. basically racism. So, is, it, is it a white language? Oh, no, it's not. Yeah, yeah, there you go. And and this is the key thing here. Whenever somebody says, oh, it's like, oh, what, what, what's your film from Australia? Oh, might do. Can't think of any. And I'll name some. Oh, yeah, I've seen some of those. They're all right. You know, Mad Max and things. Sure, fine. Uh, what about like Chris, uh, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert? Oh, yeah, I like that in the day. You know, that sort of thing. And I say, well, what's your favorite movie? And without a fucking beat, they will name an American film. And I will say, you do realize that's a foreign film. They'll say, no, it isn't. Because English people tend to inadvertently, subserviently look up to America. And so we example, have a very special relationship. Actually, no, we don't. Our two countries. So One's I'm a told big bully by in a playground, a Prime Minister around, after Prime yeah. Minister. <laughs> yeah, the Bill Bailey reference. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. It's such an astute one. But the point is, I grew up on, Amer as we all did in this country, American TV series making reference quite blasé and blindly to things that are important to American culture and really important things. That I have referenced this many times on the show. Everything precisely. I experience is filtered through The Simpsons yeah. or some American show yeah. and therefore has this, yeah, a literally filtered American filter through it where like, oh, that's how America sees things. Like, Britons don't give a shit about the Vietnam War. They can give a fuck about the Vietnam War. But I know a bunch about the Vietnam War thanks to like, Forest Gump and Apocalypse Now and all this kind of stuff. It's yeah, like, because they don't stop talking about it. Yeah, even, exactly. even in cartoons, even in like The Simpsons lost. for children. And lost, yeah. But this is what I'm trying to get at. We will say Japan is a very strange alien culture. We could never understand their ways. It's like, right, but you know what a 401k is, don't you? It's like, yeah, I do. It's like, why do you know what a 401k is? Because you <laughs> mentioned every TV series. I know escrow is on 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 houses. I don't know how the British mortgage system works. I don't know what those things are. Yeah. For oh, okay. Oh, but yeah, if you watch enough film and TV, there'll be so many plots. Th that makes in... more sense. You've watched enough film and TV, yes, Matthew, because yeah. you yes. never stop watching. But that's what I'm trying to get to. In in, I remember in things like when I was a kid where I would watch things like Home Alone, for example, and there'll be so many references to things I wouldn't understand. And it sounds like such a small, innocuous things, even at the time. It's like, I don't understand. I don't understand that product. I don't understand what that does. And they'll make a joke to Tylenol. And I'm like, I don't know what a Tylenol is. Is it, it a liquid? Is it, it powder? It blew my mind finding out that Americans have different names for like medicines and stuff. <laughs> yes. Paracetamol Brands. is just not a thing. And it's like, yeah, it's all branded because you have to pay for everything. Yeah. yeah. It's not and just generic drug name. Like, yeah. Oh. And that's kind of the point. You have that whole life, but because we have more exposure to it, because there's more film and TV things, we become more aware of daily life American stuff. So, for example, people in this country will call it an ATM most of the time. You mm. won't say, if somebody says cash point, that's what we would tend to say our, our version of it is, or an automatic teller. Um, but ATM is what the kids will say, to the point that, you know, kids will say Z every now and again rather than Z. There'll be bits, it's just exposure to it. Dragon so Japan, Ball Z. Dragon Ball, yeah. I doesn't have to... the same train myself out as a, like a five or six year old out of saying mm. Z because I watched so much Sesame Street. See, th that's exactly it. Sesame now Street, I, I found... Now my ABCs, yeah, and they rhyme yeah. with Z. <laughs> and there's so many things you just are exposed to and you take on board. And this is true of 
a lot of European nations. Um, you will just get, you know, oh, everyone knows about, you know, Mr. Rogers. And it's like, who the fuck is Mr. Rogers? Yeah. And then you, you don't actually see an episode of, what's it called again? In the That's neighborhood. Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Yeah. See, not a clue. Go. I have yeah. no yeah. idea. I We've know who Mr. Rogers it. is. We see no idea what the I've show is called. Never seen an episode. I've seen, yeah. I'm aware Tom of Hanks. references. Yeah. Yes. And that's the point. And the same same thing goes for anime. In the same way, it's, it feels like it's being quite reductive in certain points and why it's being quite on the nose. It's like, yeah, that version is. That's for kids. Um, whereas you can say, like, as we mentioned, uh, well, mentioned off screen, Satoshi Kon and his films and like, oh, like Paprika and Perfect Blue and Millennium Actress and things like that. And you're like, oh, you mean really deep shit that you watch five times around? And you're like, I think I get it. I think. Maybe I don't get it. And that's the point. There, there can be subtlety. It depends what you're watching. And that's Again, it goes it back to the, to the comic book comparison of like, yes, yes. it's not a genre. It's a medium. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a style and it's a medium. And you can have anime for adults. You can have films for adults. You can have films for kids. You can have anime for kids. You can have novels and comic books and video games and fucking everything. Yeah. Picture books, whatever it is, for kids, for adults, for teens for young if you adults can sell it to someone they'll make a version for someone exactly mm. yeah and and that is a part of that is a cultural thing in japan where both manga and anime are accepted as being a lot more versatile mediums they don't they aren't tend to the, you know we still here in the west still very much think of oh it's animated it's for kids uh or occasionally like it's oh it's you know rick and morty or whatever or the symptoms sure. you know but that's a that's but, a recent trend yeah the the idea that there are like comic books that you would read for journalism and stuff like mm. that is very like obviously there are western versions of that you know joe sacco and stuff like that but mm -hmm. to the majority of people the idea is like oh no comic books they're a they're just superheroes and b like they are not they're for kids it's like no it's a it's a media it's a medium that can tell any kind of story and mm. can be for anyone, and that is a lot more accepted for both for both manga and for anime in Japan. Yeah, it's it's always that that exact conversation, and someone slides your copy of Mouse and says, "Really?" Yeah, and, <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's the it's it is very much the case that, and it's what it doesn't help that anime is not only what they call long form TV series and short form TV series and films. And mm. Oh fuck. But I think Tim sort of nailed it there on the head. It's the nature of prestige and how much appreciation you give it, how much attention you give it. So, for example, if you went back time, 20, 30 years, and told little versions of us, the biggest movies right now are comic book movies. The biggest actors, they make a billion, they make all the money. Everyone wants to emulate them as parodies, comedies, everything. And it's all about big superhero stuff. You would say, huh? Because it's, it felt so alien. And anime is at that point whereby over the last 20 years it went from being dirty degenerates. I mean, we're still about. But, <laughs> um, degenerates only, sort of like, oh, it's weird, it's, it's such an exclusive thing, to still very niche, but much, much, much more accepted in the public forum and getting more traction every day. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's there's a generation, the, the kind of the Generation Z coming up, and probably even your your younger millennials. I wouldn't be surprised if Jack kind of falls into this corner of people who grew up reading. Like, used to see so many. Like, when I was say twenty, 
there'd be so many 14-year-olds reading manga in bookshops, just like yeah. devouring Bleach and Death Note and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And to them, they've grown up in a world where, A, there's a, a lot better accessibility. There's stuff like Crunchyroll yeah. and stuff like that, um, that that means that that yeah, media, the, the, the advent the, of streaming services is huge. Right? Yeah, like whether that's you don't know these shit people about like, downloading things that are fans. Yeah. Fuck you, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, I remember having to download separate ST, SRT files to then add that was sub, subbed by a bloke from somewhere. You don't know you're born, lad. Some indescribable fucking username. Yeah, and it's always a fun. Yeah. And even uh, I mean, pre-internet, you know, the idea of like, oh, you know, there's there's this one specialist shop in Birmingham that you've got to go and order it yes. from, yes, you know, and you've got to hope the bloke likes you because he's you know he's grumpy as fuck, um, and a bit creepy. Yeah, inevitably a bit creepy. Yeah. <laughs> um. So accessibility is so much easier now, and there were places like you know your your Waterstones or Borders in you know the US and stuff like that where people mm-hmm. would just sit around powering through manga and you know buying that kind of stuff and i think there's it's going to be fascinating seeing the kind of medium the kind of animation that's produced in the west with people who are a lot more literate with japanese culture and anime in the Mm. next 15 20 years i think it's it there's going to be a kind of merging together of of the two yeah we did see that briefly and we still do see it but the big key one was Avatar The Last Airbender, where people go, that's an anime. It's like, mm. it's, it's Nickelodeon, it's mate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, I, I love that fucking show, but it's not anime because it's not. And then also there's now anime coming from China. It's like, is that anime? It's like, mm. not Yeah, there's Korean really. and Chinese. Yeah. And so you have like Manhua, which is the Korean Good version yeah. of mm. manga. So it's like this whole other mm. thing, but mm. it has... It has an, it's distinct enough in style, and obviously because they're culturally different in that way, but they obviously still are that the part of Eastern Asia where there are still some similarities in in sort of like traditional storytelling structures and things like that that obviously mm. go back thousands and thousands of years that have then yeah. in the cultivated same way that across our, that area of the world. Our fiction is different to France's fiction, but there's a lot mm. of exactly cross pollination. Exactly, you, you all can of still Europe. Pick up- yeah, Tintin and Asterix and go, oh, there you go, comic. Yep, I remember Asterix when I was a kid in the same way that I remember, yeah, seeing Dragon Ball manga. You, you're right, Tim. Like, I've, weirdly enough, I went and used to get it from the library. I would go up to get the bus to Norwich because I didn't live in Norwich and I'm a country boy originally, <laughs> and then go to the, the library and either sit there and read them in the library or if I couldn't finish it, take them out, take them home with me, rent them and then bring them back. So I didn't actually buy much manga when I was a kid, but I would always read a lot. And I mean a kid, I'm probably like 14, 15. When I was like first allowed to go out by myself, go to the big city, oh my God, (laughs) off to Norwich, go and hang out near the forum like a cool kid. For the Norwich listeners, you know what I'm talking about. I definitely did that when I was younger. And weird enough, I came to anime first and then read manga probably later on as a teenager. And I had already read comics up to that point, but... I don't know, there's this almost the opposite of what happened with comics where like I kind of feel like I grew out of comics and wanted to be a bit cooler and then but manga was like the cool version of comics. It's the Japanese stuff, it's the, the hidden secret stuff that not everyone knows about. So you feel in it's your nerdy circle of friends, yeah. you feel you feel extra cool and extra special. Like it's the same shit, fourteen year old Jack. Don't 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 get carried <laughs> away. <laughs> yeah, see I, I, I was pretty much the same, except instead of like manga at the library i was reading preacher and stuff like that um you know and that, See, I, that read, was I read preacher as a 
26 year old yeah <laughs> no did not know. teenager <laughs> to, yeah uh, does not I, translate I well to a very all... liberal 26 year old yeah i would look down on all the the emo kids with their skateboards who were just reading like plowing through dragon ball and stuff <laughs> yeah see this feels like a really good transition to our next point which is partly getting into the nature adaptation itself because th- yeah, that's what we're, we're actually talking about live action versions and we haven't but that's because we need to cover a lot of ground here so There's we're so all much history and page. legacy yeah. there isn't there yeah so the key point is as i said earlier if there's someone you can sell something to people are going to want to tap in on that it's like when say oh these companies are being fantastic they're really representing diverse uh different groups no they're not they're seeing another market they can sell to so oh we've got these amazing rainbow cups yeah, fantastic. They just, sure, they support in inverted commas, but it's mostly so they can appear to an, appeal to another demographic while selling to another demographic. It's just a case of marketing bullshit. It's, it's commerce. It's capitalism. But if it gives you good stuff, you tend to go, eh, well, you know, I mean, I'm getting my fucking adaptation of this. So the thing is, at present, there is a very strange situation where the studios know that people like anime and manga. There is a big thing. If you go to a convention... Fuck me. The amount of products and money that is made <laughs> yep. from people like me, basically. Um, <laughs> it's like, wait, so these people are happy to buy any old manga and anime shit as long as it's Japanese and they will go to Japan to get it. And it's like, yes. Or to go out of their way to import stuff or find yes. a guy who can import. Like you said, Tim, it would be that guy in Birmingham who had that specialist shop who knew a guy who knew a guy who had been to Japan six months ago. Mm. So he's got the latest stuff because <laughs> six months ago in Japan is like four years into the future. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a prime example. There is a, uh, this is this will strike mostly with the, the Patreon pick himself, Jonathan Firth Clark, but also other people hopefully listening. You can buy something like the Twilight Zone on Blu-ray. The whole thing, like 40 or 50 quid. Tons and tons of episodes. If you want to buy a 90s anime show that runs for maybe, say, 50 episodes, you're going to pay 80 pound for it because the <laughs> Japanese pride themselves as Tim mentioned earlier on things <laughs> the qualities have has to be really really high um, so if you're like oh it's second hand it's worth nothing it's like th- what's wrong with it there's a crease where on this bit of sellotape oh my god okay whatever <laughs> absolute used half price yeah I'm like yeah. well that's okay I'll, I'll just I'll take advantage of that thank you very much but they uh, still, I mean, there's a huge CD culture still in Japan, as in for CDs, for music. So a new CD will be 16, 17 pounds. And you're like, how is C- a, a physical fucking CD? You nutters. <laughs> but they are very much about that thing. So the, 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 again, the, the secondhand market and things like book offs and hard offs and that's what they name the shops. It's all pristine. <laughs> Sounds like we're making that book off and hard off. No. We promise we're not. It's real. That's their little jingle. That's. I'm that level. That plays in the shop all the fucking time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fucking insane. Okay, so there's a huge market. There's tons of money to be made, but the studios don't understand it. They just want to buy it. So they'll say, "What's the most popular stuff they have? This stuff." Okay, that doesn't line up with Western storytelling. That's too. As as Tim was saying, that's jarring. Can we fix it? It's like, yeah, kind of. So you end up thinking, "What's the most Western star thing we can find?" Technically. And you get up with things like the ones that are always in development hell or have been recently sorted out, which is Akira, Cowboy Bebop, Ghost in the Shell, a few other bits and pieces. You won't say what's one. We should get a harem show uh, like fucking 
um, Love Hina or something like, mm. nah, that ain't going to fly for a while. We, we're not going to do that one. Um, what about Attack on Titan? That's going to be a really tricky one. It's the most popular thing out there. Full Metal Alchemist. Uh, 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 we'll come back to that one. I mentioned Full Metal Alchemist in my magic in film previously. Yeah. And again, the Japanese made a version, which we will definitely come into in a second. So there is a, there's a hunger to do it, but there's a problem because there's a as we're now transitioning to the nature of adaptation. So a lot, most successful anime is an adaptation of a manga or a light novel. And that basically means there's a comic first, which is made into an animated TV series. Sometimes when the animated TV becomes so fucking popular, like the adventures of Psyche K, which is about a psychic purple haired high school kid. And it's all very comedy based. And you're like, okay, there's Chihayafuru. Was it Chihayafuru? I think that's what it was called, uh, which is about this fucking poem based card game. There's a very big, huge, you know, highly rated anime series about it, and therefore there has to be a live-action movie of it. And these do not really leave Japan. These are not films that get shown a lot outside of Japan because... Because they're foreign films, as we discussed. They're foreign <laughs> films. Um, but you will have probably heard that there was a fucking Scarlett Johansson movie with, you know, in Ghost in the Shell. Because that was something we thought, we can nick that, we can make that work. Enough people know that... Ghost in the Shell, and it's got robots and stuff, and yeah, we will work, it'll be fine be fine it's easy except the problem is you end up with what these most things tend to do which we'll come back to you end up with the surface of it all without the inner workings and it's like here you go son i bought you a working robot it's a <laughs> hollow shell it ah shell ah! I mean, it ties well into that was pun matthew that ties well into what mm-hmm. tim was saying about like missing the subtleties and stuff which is not only from like western consumers i think that's very true of western producers western directors western <laughs> yes writers screenwriters trying to adapt all this kind of stuff and whether you lose some of the original context and the original references and the subtleties that are built into the original anime or the manga or whatever it is and some people even say like oh you gotta read the manga the manga's much better you get way more from the manga it's a thousand issues where they only did 50 episodes of the anime or whatever so you then get the manga readers who are saying like oh no no you need to do this you need to the real version is in print, and then you get a live-action version of an anime, and all the anime guys go, no, 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 the real version is the animated version. <laughs> and then you get the Western version of the live-action one, no, no, the real version is the Japanese live-action version. And it just gets like more and more diluted, I guess, is in a way, yeah. like going through various different... Even if it's the same creator, like you get the original mangaka or whoever it is, which is the name of a, a person who writes and creates manga, m- monitoring and executive producing or whatever it is, it still gets filtered and changed and goes through many different hands of various producers and There's people. There's money and that involved, kind of stuff. man. There's money involved. Exactly, exactly. Um, and it, especially in recent months, I'm, you talked about, Tim, the, the advent of streaming services now adapting and, and taking up anime outside of just Crunchyroll and Funimation and all the kind of big translation things. Hmm. Fucking Netflix has Netflix original animes. Yeah. And some of them aren't based on manga. Like Japan Sinks, for example original anime like it, they have this whole thing where netflix is suddenly investing in having their own animation departments and all this kind of stuff and and helping produce stuff in japan and co-producing stuff with western studios who co-produce with japanese studios for a netflix audience so you know mm-hmm. oh it's not too japanese is it it's going to translate well to the american netflix subscribers as well and it's this whole other thing the fact that netflix is arguably the king of streaming at this point like stepping up to the plate and really kind of investing in that and to the point mm-hmm. where 
they're competing with Crunchyroll and Funimation, who are owned by Sony and are now both owned by the same yes, company because right. <laughs> they recently merged. Still so you think like, yeah, they are. You think that would be like the monopoly of anime, but you've still got Netflix actually fighting back. And because Netflix is so powerful in the streaming world, they actually kind of stand a chance and are really producing some really cool and interesting stuff. Yeah, I think, you know, the way that stuff becomes kind of this photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy is is built around money, as we've said. You know, oh, it's yeah. because there is an assumed much bigger audience, you know, the the audience for an anime or or, uh, or state say for a manga to start with is okay well it's it's basically japanese people and then once we translate it it will go out to the world and we'll get a few people watching it okay sure. it's been turned into an anime that's a wider population because it's you know it's easier to redub and you know that kind of stuff there's more people who are watching anime than there are reading manga okay now we're going to turn it into a live action okay there's there's a wider audience for that possibly um, some people think animation is for kids so we yeah. kind of want to capture those people and and like, yeah by the time you get to we're going to adapt it for a western audience probably with a western production company you have a much wider assumed audience because especially western cinema audiences aren't going to go and necessarily see an adult animation in the cinema but they're more willing to see you know scarlett johansson kicking ass or whatever but that means there's so many more executives and producers who now have money on the line who are putting their oar in and saying like oh can we tweak it just so it's a bit more friendly to a wider audience and everybody's Mm -hmm. everybody's looking to make it as as generic as possible (laughs) in a lot of ways you know as as welcoming to newcomers and so what made the original special gets diluted down again and again and again and like you say, Jack, there's so many. There, there, you then have the people who actually like the original go, well, this live action film's like nothing like it. It's like, yeah, because it's not for you anymore. It's for mm-hmm. the people who weren't going to read the manga or watch the anime originally. And you have to have something with a huge audience for it to be worth making a, or, or at least a very noisy audience, mm-hmm. uh, for it to be worth making something that is actually. A, a truly faithful adaptation you know even even the mcu takes a lot of liberties with the source material but they understand how to a how to keep the fanboys pleased for the most part <laughs> and b the parts of the original that work that make them that, that will work for wider audiences and then they take out the stuff that's like okay well this is in the original but you know that might you know it's harder to sell people on that's why you know there's a lot of criticism of the MCU. It's like, oh, it's playing it safe, you know, and now we get stuff like WandaVision where it's like, oh, it's finally stretching its legs. It's like, yeah, it took 20 films making hundreds <laughs> and, like, making... Literal billions, billions and billions of, of dollars. box office for the it The highest to... grossing film franchise of all time. Yeah. People are like, oh, Guardians of the Galaxy was quite weird. It's like, it's not that fucking weird. And it took them to... It, they had to make the Avengers, you know, <laughs> in order to... In order to to be comfortable making a slightly out there space opera. And, you know, they had to make Infinity War and Endgame for them to make a sitcom parody that's actually, you know, a superhero story. It's like, yeah, yeah, things get things get watered down a lot and especially when you're changing cultures, especially when you're removing stuff from the cultural context that it was originally in, things change so dramatically. And this is the key point here. And this is something I'm going to circle back to over and over and over and over. It is, the, as I said earlier, the nature of adaptation. And we talked about some of the adapting the books thing. It's the same thing for adapting anything. If you're doing a cover of a song, do a version that sounds like you doing it. 
do your version of the song. If you just do a cover that sounds exactly the same, you'd be like, eh, it's fine, but the original's better. If you do something dramatically different, sure, it'll piss people off sometimes. They're like, oh, I prefer the original. Yeah, but at least you tried something different. And this is the key point with the difference between a Japanese live-action anime and an American live-action anime, and I don't think either of them get it right most of the time. One is about purity and complete loyalty to the source material. One is about the idea of nothing must change. It not only has to look the same, the costumes and everything, yeah. yeah, the shots have to be the same. And again, we have lots of nods in like comic book films now of what the comics look like, sorry, the costumes, sorry, look like, in the same way that you were the self-deprecating, what did you want? Yellow spandex in the 2000s. And now we go, oh shit, you know, this character finally has the, you know, the low comic, crown. Comic accurate yeah. costumes it's, all over the it's place. It's not comic accurate, yeah. really, but it's, an approximation yeah, well, we're he's, he's got the he's got the look he's got the horns so yeah. that's, that's comic book accurate right yeah oh. but it's not the loose cloth shit i know um, but people say yeah. like well, well yeah he's got right. the horns yes, that, that's accurate like, but that's what i'm trying to say yeah, but the I japanese mean, will want his, the his loose belt cloth. is different though isn't it yes and they'll want it like <laughs> cosplayers basically yes and that's not I, a bad I ha- thing i have but. that problem a lot of the time with the live action stuff with like they have a lot of shitty wigs because anime hair is mental ladies and gentlemen yes famously just makes no sense and defies gravity so everybody's wearing a bad wig and then they have these like anime accurate costumes you're like you just look like cosplayers and that really puts me off (laughs) i can't not see a bunch of i've been to comic conventions i've seen cosplayers in real life this is weird it feels weird it's a credit to cosplayers but it makes the film yeah exactly yeah and that's that's a problem you know that we're we're seeing and that like Disney, with its recent spate of live-action adaptations of previously animated films, they've mm. tried to avoid that. They've tried to, you know, if you look at Belle's dress in Beauty and the Beast, the original, versus oh, you know, Belle's yeah, dress yeah. In, in the modern remake, there's some substantial differences because they realise trying to do a flawless recreation will just look weird. And I think that this is another hurdle uh, that Matt kind of sl- started to touch on here, is that the storytelling tools that you have in animation are quite radically different to what you have in live action. And if you just try and do a complete recreation, you're going to have to rethink, actually, so much of the storytelling because there are elements that are purely in animation that you can't recreate in live action. And that if you did try and recreate, they would look so weird. You know, it's it's the same way, like, you can't just take, you know, um, it's it's like those horrible, like, real-life versions of Homer Simpson or the, or the oh, kids yeah, from yeah, South yeah. Park, where it's like, if you just made a human look like that, but it's with realistic monster. skin textures, it's a mm. bloody nightmare fuel. Which is where we are now with Detective Pikachu. I know it's a separate thing slightly, yeah. but it's... Actually, no, it's not. That is an anime live-action adaptation. I think it's a video game adaptation, is, but it's yeah. also a live-action anime mm. adaptation. Sort of, yeah. Yeah, it's tricky. That, that, that crosses the line. Yeah, because... That's a whole other thing as yeah. well. Like, yeah. So it's originally a video game that was turned into an anime, also a manga, and then a Western live-action version is based on one of the video games. Yeah. But a lot of the mannerisms and the noises and the sounds and the nostalgia that it's playing on is tying into the anime. <laughs> So it's a live action anime adaptation based on a video game that has an a anime property. based on it. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to media in the 21st century. And th- and this is kind of the kind of the frustration with the whole thing. Where where do you allow change? Because as we will come back to later, if you try something different, people will fucking crucify you. If it isn't accurate to what they have in their head, 
you'll get slaughter for it. And again, should you want that? We talk about the Disney live action remakes, better or worse, positive and negative examples. The ones that tend to succeed are the ones that do things slightly differently and understand the material going in. Now, I'll tell you something, uh, two, two things, in fact, I want to say very quickly. The first thing is a personal experience because I have an award-winning live-action anime TV series. Uh, well, web series, I say. And the key point there Starring is... Starring Tim and me. <laughs> true, and no one else. <laughs> no, it's true. Um, but it's, it's, it's a way for me to just do a very silly, fun show, and it has cartoon physics. Uh, it has emulated cartoon shots. They're jarring at times, they don't always work because it's a very strange thing to do visually, but if you're in on the joke, this thing, and when I explain it to, I mean, let's face it, boomers, if I explain it to people who don't get it, I'll say, it's a live action anime. Anime is a Japanese animation. Oh, okay. I'll just say to them, it's kind of like Tom and Jerry, and they'll go, oh, okay. And I'll say, do you remember Space Jam? Yeah. It's like Space Jam. It's a cartoon, but there are people in it, like Mary Poppins. Oh, yeah, the, yeah, there we go. And they get it. That's how you translate it. It's like, that's how it works. Because that's actively trying. And the thing with my show is it's meant to be like live action set in anime universe. So it's very much full on filters and very colorful and the tropes of a story thing and the, and, and, and the character tropes, as cliche as they may be, are all in there. But it, the conceit is it's a cartoon. That's how it works. And because of that, I know what I'm doing and I'm a fan of things. So it works very well. I and mean, it's not enough to ostracize people who don't know. You can still say, ah, I get it. Cartoon physics. It's fun. It's about assassins. And it doesn't, there are nods in there to tons of anime, uh, you know, sort of Easter eggs, but you don't need to exclusively know them to understand or appreciate the show. You can, understand, like we're talking about, like with, um, like, you know, walking into the middle of Infinity War, it's not advisable, but you can, you can get along with it. And one of the cast members, a friend of ours from um, a separate podcast, Super Hero Power Hour, um, Ben, he was saying, I was rewatching some Evangelium recently, and I think you should do more of these things. I said, oh, don't worry, I've got plenty more stuff planned which leans into much more of the tropes, more of the expressions, more of the reactions, which is tricky because some actors are like, I want to perform this way. I'm like, yeah, I know you do, but the anime, all I need you to do is go, oh, that's all I need you to do. One, one expression, go, oh. And it's like, but that's, I would probably go, I see. Hmm. Yeah, that's too much acting. I need you to go, oh, why do you need to do that? Because it's cheaper to animate. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not an animation. Yeah, but we're trying to pretend you are and that's fewer frames to animate. And so Ben was saying, you should make it more like Evangelion have the back of people's heads more and tons of talking on a still shot. Because yeah. like, that's how you save money. You don't animate the lips. And that's why you have so many anime cutaways to a stream because that's really easy to animate rather than dialogue syncing up with voices and stuff. And it's like, I do lots of that stuff. But the problem is if you do too much of that, people say, wow, this guy can't direct. That's, that's <laughs> lazy shit directing. That's just, he can't do it. It's like, no, I'm, that's when you're too far towards this source material homage. Now, this leads me to my second point. Three of the best anime adaptations are not actually anime adaptations. They are either inspired or have been drawn from manga stuff, but they are in fact technically fully versed in people who understand what anime is. And when I say them, people go, oh, well, obviously not. Obviously them. They don't count. The Matrix, Pacific Rim, Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah, they don't count, man. Mm. <laughs> they are literally anime adaptations. When the Wachowskis were going to Warner Brothers, they said, we want, to, they showed them, I believe, a copy of Ghost in the Shell and said, we want to do this, but live action. And they said, that's impossible. And we said, we'll make it work. And Pacific Rim is a giant mech thing. They made it work. Edge of Tomorrow is a literal comic. You, it's, again, people don't know it's based on, on, a, on, a, on a manga. Hmm. And that's a, kind of, is it a light novel or a? Uh, it's both. It's yeah. both. It's it, it's um yes. It's it's. It All you need is been, kill as the yeah. original title, yeah. but it has been adapted yes. to a, a, a manga as such. And which, the visual which, which was is then called what Tom Cruise calls it when, yes. when he discusses it. 
Exactly. Yeah. But that's the point. When you see the the alien creatures, they are dramatically different to what you end up in the movie because the movie version wouldn't work like that. And all of them, all three of those movies, whether they're better or worse or what do people think of those movies, they understood the concept of what was being shown in the source material. What needed to be got across in terms of, mm-hmm. here's the cool visuals, but you also have a lot of things here riding on family, a lot of things riding on honour and duty and the collectivist mindset of we have to all pitch in together as well as hardcore philosophy shit. That's where the Ghost in the Shell adaptation that Rupert Sanders did with Scarlett Johansson falls down. It's I think it's really good in terms of its visuals. I think it's a fucking cracking film visually. But fuck me, there's no... It's got a revenge amnesia plot. It's shallow, than, right? It's, it's very shallow. There's no depth and no... No, because it's too... Interest from the original. It insults the audiences because the studio's like, yeah, look, we invest a lot of money in this. We don't want to push people away with this fucking talk about existence, you know, existential crisis. Like, the Matrix made all the money. People will get it. Listen, mate, you're not Christopher Nolan. You're not allowed to talk about fancy, <laughs> fancy stuff, all right? Yeah. It's about getting to the thematic and emotional heart of what makes the story great in mm. the first place. Mm. And then if you get that right, you can take a few more liberties with the storytelling and the mm-hmm. design and stuff like that. I'm going to I'm gonna throw out yeah. a, an analogy here, which Ooh, shit, son. I think uh, Jack is going gonna, is gonna to light up at. Is it wrestling? No. Not quite, not quite that in Jack's wheelhouse. This is going to be an angry Jack, but like a pleased angry. Sign uh, me up. Holy shit! Okay. Zack Snyder's Superman is basically a Western live-action version of a really successful. It's like if brilliant. He has basically yeah. approached it like a Western director doing an adaptation of manga, where he's like, "Yeah, I've got all the the uh, the visual cues in there. It's fine." It's like, have you understood the character? Nope, doesn't matter. I've lit up, Tim. That is that is very astute. It's like I've got the comic, I've got the cloak, I've got the. Uh, He's got an S on his chest. Yeah, I've got the yeah, reference there. I've got him dying, come back in a black suit. I've got everything. <laughs> oh, oh, it's you're like, so right, and I hate it so much. That doesn't mean anything. And and again, talking about yeah, him the, and Batman are fighting. They've never met before. Yeah, I know, but they're fighting. That's what's important, right? They, yeah. They've, and Batman has a big, like, robot suit. Yeah. Look, there's this Ra- really popular... Look, I did my research. This this comic's really popular, and it's got Batman and Superman fighting. I've seen Batman in a big robot suit yeah. punching Superman, like, doing that thing where, you know... That's that's Slightly the whole thing, yeah, right? That, that was that was volume eighty nine in the in the in the Superman manga. You know, like yeah. you gotta you gotta have the storytelling up to there. It's like no, people just wanna they just want the big popular stuff. No, bring me World's Finest where they're both skiing down the slope with Robin having a great fucking holiday. Give me that first, then you can give me. <laughs> bring me the episode where they watch the weird dick aliens uh, having <laughs> sex while in the Fortress of Solitude, and then they cuddle uh, up afterwards. I mean. That might be in the Snyder Cut. We don't know at this point. Um, as a comparison, as again, we should point out that this isn't even just a case of like, oh, some directors don't get it. Even directors of anime don't always get it. So an example of someone who does fucking get it, and I'm very impressed with, there's a guy called Hirakiano, and he is a fucking cool boy. <laughs> he created... Um, a handful of things, but the one that everyone knows him for is Evangelion or Neon Genesis Evangelion, which was a TV series in the 90s that most people can't pronounce. Yeah, exactly. And it's fucking ridiculous. And the show limited him because it was like, look, running out of money, running out of time, your stuff is too weird. And so it led to these huge shots of elevator rides that did nothing in silence for like five minutes because they had to <laughs> fill the time. But it became really nuanced because of it. And he's had like three cracks at the ending. Um, but the point is, his directorial style in the animation thing, of how he sort of lay it all out, is 
fucking genius. It's amazing and incredibly traumatic. And most of what an Evangelion experience is, is about the trauma and the madness. It's more about the, it's closer to the fucking shining in terms of the, you know, the psychological pain <laughs> than it is robot stompy smash, smash, smash. The Transformers show, say, for example's sake. He directed recently, like, at this point, 2016, so five years ago, Shin Godzilla, arguably one of the best Godzilla movies. Agreed. I believe we talked about this before. Yeah. It's fantastic. And he brought the exact same mentality there. There's a lot of anime angles and mindsets and stuff and framing that he would use in Evangelion at the same time. The difference is he knew the limit of what the medium could and could not do. Because um, obviously animation, uh, this is going to sound reductive, but I'm going to say it. Animation isn't real. Um, <laughs> so audience suspense of disbelief is much easier. It's all fake, therefore you don't have to worry about what's real and what isn't. It's when you've got the uncanny valley of pairing fictional and impossible things with what's real that you go, hang on, this isn't right, this isn't thing. It's the floating fucking heads and like, you know, uh, uh, on, a, on a CGI body. Which is what we call live action now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's kind of the point, but he knew what to, what to comprise. But the, the, the core of the, the narrative structure, the core of the commentary about politics, the jump cuts to, oh, don't worry, it will never make land, we're fine. Cut to a man coming up saying, it's just made for landfall. And cuts the premise going, oh, turning the camera. And it wants to cut this like, smash cut straight into his face. That feels very anime. He just needs a big old background behind him in multiple colors and explosions. And, oh! But that's too much. That doesn't work for this particular medium. I'll tell you who does do a good version of it, really weirdly enough, and why his stuff with his, um, in stop motion works well. Wes Anderson. <laughs> he knows if you're going to control the environment and if you want to say like, oh, we're going to throw an arrow. Pew! You cut to an arrow and it looks like a cartoon. It looks, mm. but his worlds are so unique in how they exist that you go, like, like much with my web, aforementioned web series, Super Epic Kill Time. You go in from the get-go understanding that this isn't meant to be hyper-realistic. It's not going for complete photorealistic effect. It's not going to convince you that this is real because that's not the point. And animation is so much easier to get on board with that. It's why the Disney live-action remakes don't always work because you're like, nah, that's stupid. So even someone like Arno, for example, who's created one of the best Godzilla films and one of the most popular and rabid fan base anime has transitioned in interesting ways. He won't make a direct shot-for-shot -shot comparative sort of remake. And I think it's that spirit you need to capture, that idea of what works, what doesn't, what's important, what do we keep, what do we avoid, and what makes it what it is. Why do people like this other than, you know, boob physics? <laughs> I think that's key to a lot of adaptations, and again, we touched upon this in our mm, book to mm. film adaptation, is Very much so. less so, and again, talking about Zack Snyder here, like less so doing a shot-for-shot -shot thing like he did with Watchmen, but capturing the feeling of something, or the meaning of the, or the themes, or whatever it is, capturing that thing that is interesting and special about that particular thing, and that, that story, and that medium, and taking those things and making it in the new medium using the tools that are appropriate for that new medium but keeping the, the feeling and the themes from the original entirely I've got like the watchman the watchman right. tv series compared to Zack snyder's watchman yes you then have like the comedian being like a cool kind of anti-hero badass and ozamandias is kind of a cool anti-hero badass and rorschach is a cool anti-hero <laughs> badass <laughs> That's not the point, Zach. They're all terrible fucking people, and that's the point. But no, it's all 
big shiny superheroes and some of the shots in the film are literally panel for panel, shot for shot remakes of the comic, therefore it's good. Like, I think you misunderstood this. And I think that's key for a lot of people taking something that is so inherently embedded in one particular medium and taking it to another yeah. is you've got to understand what worked about the story and why people, why it resonated with its fans and with the creators and, you know, whoever else enjoyed it yeah. and adapt it, hence the name adaptation, into the new medium with tools that will allow you to make it appropriately and not just like, like you said, Tim, only a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy kind of thing. I'll I'll tell you a prime example that isn't anime, but is another one people might be able to relate to. You, Jack, especially. Hello, that's me. So another transition, another adaptation. I know we're straying away from anime, a bit of a tangent here, but it's it's worth mentioning. As I said before, understand the limitations as well as the strengths and weaknesses of the industry or the medium you are championing, shall we say. You're saying, we said this before, but in the, in the literary adaptations. Yeah, I know we can't get the, you know, the absolute internal workings of the character. We can, but not in the same way. But we can do a really fucking cool chase sequence. Great. Now, how do we get this off a stage where everyone's okay and understands it and make it work in a movie? I think it's fur technology. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then you end up holes. with... And buttholes. And you end up with, wait, what? So, for example, a musical is nonsense. There are things that work in a musical on stage because you're in the room and you feel that passion. You feel, it's a, there's something very transportive about theatre. Then you get a film which is a film musical. It's the same thing. It's cool. It's big, vibrant. I'm now seeing them on set in the fucking Austrian Alps. Oh, it's so different to being just imagining it in the theatre. And then you get to the point of what Tom Hooper was, I guess, trying to do and, and <clears throat> could probably do if he was actually fucking smart about it in Les Mis, which is have them singing on the day, but with the, the pre-recording in their ear, which he didn't do. If you had a pre-recording the ear, they have the time. Which you right. should have done. Because then you get the performance. The performance is there. That's using the film. That's why it was good. And then you have cats. And <laughs> cats yeah. is the ultimate example of like, no, you should have. I mean, I'm not saying you can't. You could have adapted cats. Anyone could adapt anything in theory. But this adaptation of cats was also Zack Snyder looking at Superman saying, Yeah, I got all the songs. <laughs> they're all cat people. The backgrounds mm. are sometimes real, Sorted. sometimes they're not. What's wrong? I got Judy Dench. Problem what the solved. fuck is the problem? Ian McKellen, Judy Dench, problem solved. And here's the really weird thing to bring it full circle. I bet cats would make a fucking great anime. <laughs> Tim, it probably exists. <laughs> I, I, okay, just to give you a spectrum of anime in terms of range and stuff. Samurai pizza cats. <laughs> well, I, I watch a thing called Banania. It's designed for toddlers. It's about a cat who's a banana. Banana, <laughs> yeah. Great. yeah. But I also watch Donyatsu. And Donyatsu is about a cat who's a donut, but only because there's a nuclear apocalypse where there's been like some huge mech fight. The only thing that survives are cats shaped like food. But they come across skulls every now and again going, ah, a ball to play with. It's like, no, but what the fuck is this world? I mean, that, it's, that, that just sounds right. like adventure time. So, you know. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. And that's also would work well as a Tom Hooper musical. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> off. So, anime. Manga, these are all storytelling traditions with a lot of history, but have evolved to suit the modern day. And uh, for our ad, I'd like to tell you about another thing that's got a lot of history, but has evolved to suit the modern consumer. Today's episode is presented by Clarks. Clarks' story began almost 200 years ago, when Cyrus and James Clark made a slipper from sheepskin. 
At the time, it was groundbreaking, a combination of invention and craftsmanship that's remained at the heart of what Clarks does. From the very beginning, Clarks has always thought differently. Brilliant ideas are what sets Clarks apart. We are teaming up with Clarks and Podgo to bring you up to 30% off on select items, including on the iconic Clarks Desert Boot, by going to podgo.co slash clarks. That's podgo.co slash clarks. Get yourselves booted. That's not part of their ad copy. I just thought I'd throw that in. It's good. I should point out, and this is a complete uh, bit of anecdotal nonsense. In the aforementioned before times of a long, long ago, when I was, you know, buying anime VHS, I was wearing Clark's shoes. I'm damn tempted. I may well take Clark's up off on this offer because I need a new pair of boots. And Clark's, Cyrus and James. Clark's makes some quality footwear, so you know. There you go. It's it's a it's a very iconic Britishy thing to have. Clark's shoes. I, again, I, all my school's clu- school shoes were Clark's until yeah. I was a teenager, I think. So. Go into that. Get your foot measured by the robot. Ah, oh, the robot. You think it's going to crush your feet, and then it goes, oh, this is quite comforting. And then you become Tarantino. Yep, that's where your fetishes come from. <laughs> so, gentlemen, should we talk about some live-action anime adaptations? Yes. I think I might kick things off. We've talked about Netflix. We've talked about Japanese live-action anime anime adaptations and western live action anime adaptations oh boy i've got all the adaptations for this one it's based on an incredibly critically acclaimed and popular manga series and anime let's talk some death note shall we back to that 101 starter kit yeah basic bitch anime <laughs> i mean to be fair it's because it's fucking good it's fucking brilliant one of my it's wife's great. favorites one of my favorites it's it's brilliant i'm not married to you tell that to your wife <laughs> I mean, I tell her. She's she's starting to suspect, but I tell she's her. Gone, say, I'm not married to Jack. But like, yeah, good. Thanks, mate. <laughs> she's sitting there chopping vegetables. I'm not married what about to Jack. Tim. Mm. Oh, mm. Tim, Tim and I have known each other a long time. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so I'm a big fan of the anime Death Note. Watched it. Mm, I want to say sort of five or six years ago, probably. Just absolutely binged it and tore through it, and absolutely loved it. Now own the collected edition of the manga and have been reading that. Uh, bits and pieces here and there. Not read the whole thing, I will admit. And the 2017 American Netflix movie, <laughs> Death Note, is a hell of a thing because uh, I don't know much. Spoiler alert! I don't know much about the other guys' choices here, listeners. Mm-hmm. I have seen neither of the adaptations nor the animes from these other two picks, so I'm going some basic bitch stuff. This is if you know anime, you probably heard of Death Note. Basically. There's this kid who gets this book, this little like textbook shaped thing called a death note. And if he writes a person's name in there, they will die. And it's this like magical power gifted to him by this god of death. That's the very, very basic premises of it. And yes. that's about where the adaptations stop. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There is a god of death called Ryuk, who's like this uh, Shinigami, which is this Japanese like uh, traditional demon kind of god thing. And. A main character is called Light. His first name is Light. Surname changes depending on adaptation because because <laughs> America. Sometimes it's Yagami. Sometimes Turner. Hmm. He's always Yagami to me. Yeah, it blew my mind. He was called Light Turner. Like, oh yeah, this is set in America. Why is he called Light? If it's set in America. That make nobody's calling their kid Light. People aren't really calling their kids Light in Japan either. To be fair, but, true. So the, so there's there's two. From again, from what I understand, this this is gonna get hefty real quick. Whew. I think there's 37 episodes of anime. 
sure. adapted into multiple live-action Japanese things. You have the two main Death Note and Death Note 2 live-action films, mm. which were around about the same time as the anime. Then they spun off into a miniseries and another film that came out a couple of years ago, which I've not seen. I've only seen the first two. But basically it takes like one of the original characters and spins him off into his own thing. The, the like antagonist, essentially a guy called L, because there's a character called L because anime and then there's like the the next generation or something like that which is such a fucking 90s (laughs) bullshit title which is literally like oh the next kid inherits the the magical book that lets him kill people and he carries on the legacy of the original character and blah 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 blah. the netflix movie is 95 minutes long (laughs) it tries to do everything in 95 minutes it's one of the most rushed and unexplained films I have seen in a while. And we talk about bad sequels on this show <laughs> on the regular. It is unbearably fast-paced and doesn't care to explain much of anything at all. Like, some characters are Japanese. Don't know why. Some of them aren't. Don't know why. Some of them have weird names. Some of them have code names. Some of them are born into secret military programs to build the world's greatest detective. But let's not talk about that. Let's talk about this other thing. Wait, what? <laughs> oh, yeah, he was raised in an orphanage to become the world's greatest detective. Why is he fucking Batman? Are we not talking about this? He's just saying that like it's a normal thing. Like, what the fuck is going on here? It basically tries to do sort of an adaptation of like the first half or so and then skips right to the end for a bit all in 90 minutes, and it's exhausting. Mm -hmm. And it's available on Netflix. (laughs) And weirdly enough, there are some really strong performances, and really cool and interesting, um, the the way, again, they've translated it to the medium of live action really kind of works in certain ways. So the director, uh, Adam Wingard, has done a really great job of turning the kind of thriller aspect of the original one. It's very much like a like the main character is battling against L and it's a battle of wits and minds and it's a constant cat and mouse chase and all this kind of stuff. He turns it into more of like a horror thing. It feels almost like Final Destination, Omen style at times where like mm-hmm. he cranks up the gore and all the, the deaths that, that Light does in, in the notebook. People get decapitated by ladders off the back of trucks and that's in the first like three minutes. <laughs> and it's a full on like it takes off the top half of his head leaving his lower jaw still attached <laughs> to the rest of his body exploding head and this guy's like a teenage bully and it's like oh okay cool <laughs> just explode his head in the first five minutes the sam and- raimi spider-man yeah <laughs> it's what everyone had initially assumed it was be it's like here's the school bully and it's like oh i'll just dodge his punches and then realize i'm maybe going too far nah it's sam raimi he's gonna fucking chainsaw his face <laughs> <on."> <laughs> well speaking of sam raimi willem dafoe is really good in this movie as well mm. his version of ryuk actually kind of works and the Mm, character is mm. fucking terrifying like he's kind of not quite comic relief but kind of like way more humanized in the he has way more time to become a character in the manga and the anime Mm, mm. so you learn about his likes and his dislikes and all this kind of stuff and he likes to eat apples so light always brings him apples and stuff in the film he's just eating apples for some reason you never understand why it's a reference (laughs) and he's it's all just referencing to the original and he's just lurking in the shadows and you never see him in full light, essentially. Mm. he No pun intended. Mm. He's in the shadows and just his glowing, like, demonic eyes. Whereas in the Japanese live-action version, he looks like a big fucking potato. <laughs> <laughs> and he's fully CG and it's real weird. 
because that was 14 years ago <laughs> and the Netflix film was made four years ago in 2017 and we've come a long, long way. It's it's such a shame because I, I haven't watched much of Death Note. I've watched the first like two or three episodes and like you say, it's very much a cat and mouse game between Light and L. Like Light is doing horrible things but is kind of like he's basically like a vigilante who's been given like the genie's lamp kind of thing. Oh, yeah, um, pretty much. Yeah. And so there's a lot of like ethical questions and stuff in there. It, it, it's really interesting. And I, I again, I kind of part of me is like, I wish I hadn't bounced off of it because I bet it's a really interesting story as it goes on. And the Netflix version, like the cast, if you'd have told me that was the cast for any other movie, I'd be like, yeah, that's a really great mm. cast. Like the, mm. the Nat Wolf, who's the who plays Light in it a young actor I like I've seen him be good in other things it's got Keith Stansfield as uh, Ooh, as I love who's so good. Keith Stansfield is the best thing about this film Agreed. His, his portrayal of L is fantastic or they do kind of forget it towards the end so <laughs> L has all these weird like he sits with his legs like tucked up on a chair oh, and yeah. he's always like unaware of like um personal space and stuff mm. he's a very almost like intimidating figure with his quirkiness and his weirdness and Lakeith does an amazing job translating that and even taking it from kind of like very weirdly Japanese in the original mm. version to like he's an African-American guy portraying this character mm. and mm. just it just works and you believe him. Mm. And then sometimes he's just cool and normal again and you're like, mm, okay, mm. you didn't quite nail it. But I, that is by far no fault of Lakeith Stanfield because yeah. I absolutely love him. Yeah. But the, the, the thing that's very clear even to me as someone who's watched barely any of Death Note is that like everyone's actions in it are incredibly deliberate and thought out. And you need that time. You need those 37 volumes of, you know, of anime or or, or however many volumes of manga to, to show everyone's thought processes and to show the efforts they're going to. And if it's, if it's just powering through the plot, you're losing, you're going to lose so much. It's a key thing here. Okay. This is, this mostly for people who've, not experienced this, don't know what we're talking about, etc., etc. For for the people who are, are struggling through this episode, and, uh, we salute you. You're doing a very good job. Death Note is fantastic as an anime. It's one of those things people recommend because it's so good. It is very anime at times. At it one is. point, Light is a classic cliche is that yeah. Light is talking about how clever and genius he is <laughs> because he's writing cleverly without being seen, even though he's being monitored. He knows he's being monitored, but he's not giving away he's being monitored. And he describes he's writing it. with his right hand. Yeah. I'm writing like my homework with the right hand, but the left hand I'm writing killing names. You can't stop me now. And he says, I'll be so innocent. I could take a potato chip and eat it. <laughs> and then the music goes, <laughs> and Ryuk looks like he's having a fucking orgasm because this is hilarious. Um, it's nonsense, but it's extremely well executed nonsense. And more importantly, you start to realize that although the premise is, wait, what happens if you could have a book? You could write someone's name and kill them. You kill the pedophiles, convicts, kill them all. You know, in, in and a point, this is where it goes back to the Japanese society again. It's like these people are not further in the collective. These people are not part of the high. Yeah, mind. Japan is a very collectivist yes. society, isn't it? Compared to a more individualist mm. kind of society yeah. that we live in the West. So you are a burden on society. I can get rid of you and I'll be I should be thanked for it. And so he has an alias called Kira, because it sounds like killer. And he They do that in the American version because he wants to trick people that he's Japanese. Uh, yeah, see, that's where it gets justifying it is when he you specifically it. says that out loud in the English language because it's a reference. I don't know if you get it. It's a reference, right? So the original is, is Japanese. What? Nani? So he uses a Japanese word that isn't 
really a Japanese word. It's kind of a the phonetic. Word they, have it, they have a, the word for borrowed words. I can't remember it is, but yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a phonetic, obviously, of the word so, killer. But And he's like, well, I'm just going to get a bunch of criminals to, to write Japanese kanji in, in prison. And then everybody will think I'm Japanese. Like, what? Yeah. What? Why, what? But at the same time, the story starts off like that in the anime and the manga. And it becomes more about a chess game between two vastly intelligent individuals who are both kids. And because the kids are not listened by adults, and it's that classic adults don't listen to kids sort of thing that you immediately relate to, and teenagers especially. And so you have one teenager who is like, I'm doing the right thing. Here it is. I've got my system down. And another teenager is like, well, I'm releasing information. Uh, I've realized that... Um, you have to have certain things. There are there are little rules. And the other teenager figures it out. It's like, so first of all, you're only doing this during these hours of the day. Therefore, you're at school. It's like, fuck. You're also doing it at this time, which means you're probably in Japan. Fuck. The people you've <laughs> killed have all been in this particular vicinity. Therefore, you're probably in this area. Fuck. <laughs> it's, it's genius. And you, and then s- you, you see a up. little bit of that again in the live action. Again, no time. The- the reason I'm not talking about the Japanese live adaptation, everybody, which I have, like I said, I've seen the first two films, it's a way more faithful adaptation of the anime and manga than yes. the American version is. And that, in general, is very true when it comes to these live action anime adaptations. You tend to find that the Japanese language live action one is way more faithful and tries to stick. Obviously, it has the advantage of being like more culturally related to the original and all that kind of stuff, but and they tend to stick more closely. Yeah. They tend to stick more closely to the original and then somehow finds its way in the hands of a Western producer. And you're like, ah, here we go. Here's where it all changes. And what the kids really want is this. And you're like, oh, no. I mean, case in point, when Death Note came out, I was, uh, I think I was in the States when I saw it. Um, because it was advertised with Californication uh, by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Because that was actually in the end credits of the movie for some reason. Didn't work, but it fine. Remember at the time really liking the visuals for Ryuk and stuff like that. It was great. But they said right from the get-go, this is going to be three films. Two films cover the actual uh, events and the uh, third one is, I don't want to give away the ending because people should genuinely watch it. It's basically a prequel. It's like what happened in between literally... Yeah, it's a spin-off with L and yeah, a few other bits and pieces. It's what pieces, happens yeah. in between hour, an hour and 45 and an hour and 50 in that movie. It cuts away to this point and a whole fucking film takes place. And it's like, oh, okay. And... Again, it's that nature, as I said earlier, of, of, of um, cultural awareness. The fact that Japan already knew what Death Note was. You didn't have a lot of you know, effort to get up to that point. And the, the, the thing is, we will bring up... The, this is obviously this is the best chance for us to talk about the difference between Eastern and Western adaptations. I think Rupert Sanders, as I said, the, the Ghost in the Shell film is... I remember being on a plane to Japan with my friend, Ben, and he said... He watched it on the plane and thought, oh, God. And he watched it and said, it's fine. It was just fine. It, it, it's fine. I could see why they changed certain things. Didn't change enough. Didn't have the actual conversations they needed to have. They didn't understand the core of what this thing was about. And with the Adam Wingard version, that's the, the Netflix version of, of Death Note, it's an interesting alternative accompaniment. I don't think it. I don't think in any way the, the toxic sort of fan base mindset of we're going to send death threats to fucking Wingard and drive him off the internet. The typical, you know, you, you ruined it. It's like, it's fun to talk about these things when you say, oh, I'm going to make a video about how shit that film is. And it's like, it's just it's just different. And the original still exists. It doesn't hurt you and that it exists. It's just not very good because although there are certain changes made, it feels like a lot of the translation, shall we say, uh, didn't work out the way it could have. And I can see why they were changing up for you know for a contemporary modern audience. Maybe you'll and again, it's, who are you trying to who are you trying to bring in here? Are you trying to get the money from the people who've already seen Death Note, or are you trying to get money from a new audience? And if you try to get money from the audience, they don't care. They think it's weird enough as it is. They're not really into it. Maybe some are like, yeah, it's all right. 
but it's not good enough for them to be like, now I'm a fucking weeb. Well done. And what it especially does, you mentioned the the cat and mouse thing between the L and light. Mm. The whole point is that they're like literal kid prodigy genius oh, type characters. And Light Turner just like gets detention and is just a bit of a dick and doesn't really have a plan. And the whole point of Light Yagami is that he's super calculating and planned and all this kind of stuff. And that's what, mm. again, kind of spoilers, but like makes him not a great character in a kind of mm. Breaking Bad Sopranos kind of way. He's very much the anti-hero. You can see like, is is he doing the right thing? He's kind of, and then does he go off the deep end? Is he still making the right choice? Is L actually the good guy on this? But you're kind of rooting for the main character because you spent all these hours building up this protagonistic relationship yeah. with them as a viewer and all this kind of stuff. And the film just does none of that, basically. Well, this brings it back to what Tim was saying earlier. And a very important point Tim was saying earlier. And this is probably the best example of that. The difference in terms of narrative form, but also the cultural influence. So, for example, our Western mindset is we want to tell a story about a disgruntled teenager, but they have to be relatable, relatable every man teenagers. You know, a little bit good at this, a little bit good at that, a little bit, you know, out of place. And it's the kind of horoscope shit where you describe it and someone can go, oh, that's me. <laughs> it's like, no, that's not. That's not you at all. Yeah, but I can identify with that aspect of that person. I had detention once, therefore... Yeah, well, I, yeah, I felt disconnected as a teenager and a bit lost and confused. Oh, well, welcome to all of teenage fucking fiction and literature <laughs> and film space and these things. It's like, oh, I can relate to Ted Hughes stuff in the 80s and the fucking Power Rangers because it's the same thing because I'm a teenager. It's like, I mean, I guess. And the Japanese side of things is the intensity. It's not enough just to be, this could be anybody. It's like, no, no, this couldn't be anybody. This could be you because you're the most earnest, heartfelt, driven individual. And you are going to be not only the fucking, the, the, you know, the, the one with the most heart on the field. You're going to be the fucking best. You're going to be Ichiban, number one, motherfucker. And that's how most shonen anime starts. I'm going to be the best Pokemon trainer. I'm going to be the Hokage. I'm going to be... It's like always, I'm going to be the best. I'm going to fight the first... I want to be the best. <laughs> the opening line. And, and, and even in like Dragon Ball, the only thing driving Goku most of the time is I want to punch more people because I want to be the best and the strongest. Oh, he looks like the strongest. I'd like to fight him because then I'll be the strongest. Right. And even if somebody, I mean, you have like lots of like um, psychological horror style anime, which is like, I'm weak. I'm not the best. I'm the worst. It's like, but you have it in you to be the best. You can become the best. And that's when you get to Evangelion territory of like, what makes me the best? Your father torturing you. Get in the robot, Shinji. And it's, <laughs> that's the whole point. It's like, you know, the pressures of society. And that's where you get the nuances that Tim was mentioning earlier. That's all like, what, what am I not getting here? It's just a kid screaming in a cockpit for an hour. That's the point. That's the pressure of society. We all get that, but we don't see that specific version of it. So the Death Note adaptation that's live action, he's just a kid. He's not a bad guy. It's like, Light's a fucking psychopath. <laughs> L is also a sociopath. But yeah. they're both not you, but you can understand them. And you and you, the fact is, you don't know... And then Jack said earlier, who is the protagonist of this show? Is it the guy who's killing people? Because not only is he killing people like criminals, he ends up killing people to cover up his own stuff. Or is it the guy who's literally trying to figure out who he is? And by doing so, saying, do you have to see me specifically? And he puts a criminal on a TV screen and says, hello, I am this person. It's like, okay, well, he didn't die. So you must know, you need to know their exact name. Name or There must be something here that we're not getting. And it's like, yeah, but you're still sacrificing people's lives. You're still playing a game. And that's where it he literally exists. describes it as a game multiple times. Precisely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and even when he reveals to him, I know who you are. I know you're Kira. And it's like, what the fuck? It's like, yeah, but I'm going to keep this going. 
because I wanted to start. I want to see how you react. That, there's a great line in the Netflix film, really? which is, I don't play for check, I play for checkmate. Oh, it's like, mm, yeah. yeah. That's, that's, yeah that that's is cool. a good line. That's a, yeah. that's a really good but line. That's a, he approaches him just out of, like, Elle just appears out of nowhere. He's like, I know you're Kira. I've worked it out. And uh, I'm not going to arrest you yet because I play for checkmate, not check. Which it's makes like, sense. Oh, and also, so cool. it'd be good uh, in a series reveal, episode seven of a 10 episode thing, as opposed to 30 minutes into your hour and a half movie. And you're like, <laughs> it doesn't yeah. really strike. The, 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 you haven't built the rapport. I'm not saying it's impossible to do so, but yeah. So that that's uh, I can see what they were trying to do. And I will give them credit for trying, but I won't say your film is good because it's not a good film. Agreed. Yeah. And to uh, put it into perspective, um, back at our good old friends, Rotten Tomatoes, Death Note, the Netflix movie, has a 38% on the old tomatometer. Ooh, that's actually higher than I thought it would be. I mean, I think it because it has cool effects and kind of looks quite nice. And, and again, people aren't going to be like some decent performances and, and stuff. Like, it needs to be like this. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Uh, the first Japanese movie has 78%, and the second Japanese movie has 80%. Yeah, that makes sense. I'd say that's okay. I'd agree with that. Yeah. Compare that over to, I guess, what is the equivalent of like IMDb for anime, basically? My anime list. Mm, yeah. It is an 8.63 overall, which is an aggregate score. Yes. That is not a tomatometer <laughs> style percentage of positive yeah. reviews, blah, 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 blah. Um, and is ranked number one in terms of popular anime <laughs> ever on that site. So quite quite the difference there, ladies and gentlemen, mm-hmm. from the most popular to 38% positive reviews. And now you understand why people <laughs> wanted to fucking adapt it. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. Tim, how about you? So I struggled with this because, as we, as we said earlier, I haven't watched a lot of anime. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, before we decided on this topic, or rather before Jonathan requested this topic... <laughs> I had not seen a live action adaptation of any anime. I haven't watched the Ghost in the Shell film, which mm. is probably the the most widely seen. It's the most mainstream, I would think. Yeah. Yes. So what I ended up doing is I went back to some of the anime that I've seen and tried to find one that had a live action adaptation uh, mm-hmm. that I could watch reasonably easily. And just to kind of give myself a, a little bit of a grounding in this area. And the anime that I decided to watch or the, the live action anime I should say and I did I I rewatched the the original as well uh is yep. Blood the Last Vampire mm-hmm. which is interesting for a lot of reasons because mm-hmm. it is one of the rare anime that is not based on a pre-existing concept it's not based on a manga it was uh, a studio basically deciding okay we're going to we're going to try something we're going to do a film uh and the original is only 45 minutes long a short film essentially but i mean shown Mm. in cinemas in places but basically we're going to come up with an original concept and we're going to see how well it does and Mm. (laughs) i put the words original concept in like heavy quotation masks (laughs) because it's not a particularly original concept the apparently the thing that inspired it was like oh we've drawn drawn this picture of a japanese schoolgirl with a sword he's like that's brilliant that's so original we're gonna make that it's like really that feels like that's if you asked people to imagine what's what anime was that's the picture that they draw you uh anyway but that (laughs) evolved into what ended up being quite an interesting movie that is set on a or primarily set on a u.s military base in 1966 and it follows a half vampire japanese girl who has some connection to a mysterious government agency hunting these vampires on this base. And the 
sort of basically at the the school for the children of army personnel uh, that mm-hmm. exists yeah. there. And the school nurse kind of gets, she's basically kind of like the, the human point of view character. She gets kind of caught up in what's going on. It's a beautifully animated uh, film. Really, really good looking. It's one of the first that used digital animation. Um, yeah. Most of it looks like traditional 2D animation. Tim, Tim is referring to the animated one at this point. By yes, way, yes. Not, should the, say, not, not the, yeah. uh, the, the live action version. Most of it looks like traditional 2D animation. There's a few bits like planes taking off that you can easily tell are digital animation. But I believe it was the first... Uh, Japanese production that used all digital animation, but obviously still like coloured and stuff like that to make it look yeah. like a, a traditional anime. Really gorgeous, really realistic. Very, there's very little stylization compared to a lot of other anime, um, and quite grounded. It doesn't give a lot. It, it being only forty five minutes, it's a very tight story, and there is the sense of oh, there, there's a lot of law that we're just not being told here. Um, mm. because it does it kind of gives you the bare bones of what you need it's like okay there's these mm. demons they can shapeshift so they can look like humans this girl hunts them um, mm. and you're left with a lot of questions at the end of it but it also manages to tell a reasonably satisfying story it's not particularly emotionally deep it's very much from the it's very comparable actually to the Blade films it's like you don't know yeah, a lot yeah. about Blade you don't get much of an emotional journey for Blade but you get that he's a dude who kills vampires. And this is very much the character. Uh, uh, Saya, she's superhuman. She kills vampires. She's got a sword. She looks good doing it. I, I remember this very distinctly because it, in it was like uh, late 2000 or something like that when it came out mm-hmm. on um, DVD and things. And it was advertised on all the stuff because they were pushing it so heavily. Like, you know, it's Aniplex and IG. Mm-hmm. And they were like, this is big because it's the future of animation. Um, they weren't necessarily wrong. It was CGI animated uh, or computer generated. Sorry, computer assisted animation. Sort of mm. And it, it it is a very pretty. It still maintains. It's still really pretty. Yeah. Um, and it being only 45, 48 minutes long, or whatever it is, it, it's it's a very simple. Again, short feature. I think is the official term, but it's effectively it's a short film. So it's a mm. long episode, like a pilot, as it were. And I know, and yeah. like an anime series and things. And yeah. Blah, blah, there there but, were yeah. there were spin offs. There were spin off mangas and stuff like yeah, that. Exactly. Kind of going almost like the reverse to the normal route. Um, exactly. And there was a spin-off series and, and things like mm-hmm. that. And a live action adaptation. Yeah. And again, a slightly non-traditional one. It was co-produced by a French company and a Chinese company, with most of the production being done in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Um, it has uh, and I should say also both the original and the live action version are English language for the most part. Um, because it's set on an American base. Uh, it's primarily in English language. There's some very funny kind of telling details about how Japanese see American people. Oh, yeah. Um, like the government agents, uh, the kind of two men in black that kind of follow her and give her her assignments. One of them's an African-American guy with like kind of not quite a full Afro, but like a kind of a bit like Samuel L. Jackson in mm-hmm. uh, Pulp Fiction, kind of Jerry Curl, like small Afro. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, you would not have an FBI, a black FBI agent in 1966. But clearly the <laughs> uh, the Japanese stereotype is like, oh, yeah, you know, there's lots of black people in America. Um, We've seen it in the movies. It must exist. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the live action version makes quite a few changes. It essentially it creates a American schoolgirl character who becomes rather than the the school nurse who mm-hmm. witnesses the kind of the events going on, 
she becomes the witness to the uh, the events and and develops a friendship uh, with Sire. And it actually the the live action version has a better emotional through line to it, but it's a lot less. There's some subtle elements to the original being set in 1966. It's like at the dawn of the Vietnam War. It's set on this US airbase. There's kind of things going on in the background and this kind of unspoken parallel between what's happening with with the fighting of the vampires and, and the idea of the Vietnam War. The live action adaptation basically robs that of any subtlety. I'm pretty sure it opens the first shot you see of the US airbase has war by uh, Edwin Starr coming up over war. What is it good for? It's like, oh, okay, we're we're not being subtle at all uh, in this adaptation. It's like watching Suicide Squad. <laughs> yeah, it also does stuff like there's a weird kind of alternate reality slash time travel bit in the film where the characters go back in order to confront the the mother vampire who turns out to be uh Sire's mother, and it's like, hang on, so is this have they really travelled in time, or is this just kind of a <laughs> a metaphorical representation of what's happening. It gets very confused. It doesn't have the quality... Obviously, it's not going to have the quality of animation. It's not animated. But it doesn't have the quality of visuals that the original did. And in trying to expand on it a little bit, it shows up the fact... Like, the original is very bare bones. But it's only 45 minutes long. doesn't need to have a lot of... You know, it does what it does and it gets out in exactly the right amount of time. In trying to stretch it to a longer, kind of what we would see as a more traditional feature length time frame, there's too much padding in there. Mm -hmm. It it tries to throw in additional ideas and it answers stuff that was previously mysterious that is not that interesting, actually, when you answer it because it's so generic a premise. Like Teen Girl hunting vampires. They, you know, the, the, the people behind it have said, oh, we were influenced by Buffy the Vampire Slayer. You know, it's like, yeah. And you haven't really come up with a an interesting mythology to kind of call your own. You've just, it's just extremely generic and expanding it out doesn't help yeah, in any way. Yeah, I, w- I would say that the, the move, the 2009 movie, Blood, The Last Vampire, the first, I don't know, the train sequence, opening 10, 15 minutes, mm. really fucking good. Mm. I really enjoy it because it's a good adaptation of the opening train sequence, which is quite, quite iconic in the actual, in the animated mm. version. Classically, there'll be people purists saying, wait, 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 the lead actress is Korean. It's like, yes, mm. people won't be happy about that. It's like, and there's lots of like Western actors, and they, you know, and Americans and, and British people, and they're like, yes, but that's not necessarily mm. un, un, unusual because of where it's set. That's fine. But as you've said, it tries to stretch out and pad out so much and give it more than it is that you end up with something that's like, this was a good concept as a short film. You've now made it something that's in fact really robbed of its um, mystery and it's now unsatisfactory. And there are some cool bits, but ultimately, and this is something that's very true for a lot of live action anime, it's forgettable, whereas the original animated piece was very, very standout and demanded your attention. Mm. Whereas it's just like, eh, it's another fucking generic looking thing. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think it speaks to the quality of the original. That I saw it, I, I think I think I owned it on VHS when it came out uh, back in 2000 yeah. um, or probably 2001-ish. And again, I bought it because it was, I think it was quite hyped around the time or it was something that got a lot of exposure in, in Western, it, you know, it was in it was, yeah. SFX and Empire and stuff like that. And when I came to thinking like, okay, what can I watch 
for this for this particular episode. Mm. It stuck in my memory enough that I was like, oh, I should see if they did a live... Oh, they did. Ah, that's handy. There is nothing about the live action version that is going to stick in my... Like, I'm already struggling to remember, <laughs> like, character names and stuff like that. Apart from... The, 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 the teen girl that they invent, they bring in, is called Alice, and there's a couple of really tortured fucking Alice through the looking glass uh, uh, yeah. stuff. Oh, God. Classically... We're recording this, obviously, a, few, a, a while before the episode goes live. I bet you someone's going to say, Tim, I've got to think about that in terms of, I've already forgotten. Yeah. Enough time has passed now that I don't remember what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> um, whereas the original stuck with me. Yes. And, and yes. even though it's it's very slight, it does what it does very well. Oddly enough, on Rotten Tomatoes, both are on there. And interesting results, mm-hmm. shall we say. Please do, Matthew. Please do. So I Smartometer for the original you, 2000 animated. I won't give you Short. exact numbers, but I'll give you my impression if you don't mind. I do mind. It's a visual impression. You didn't get it. Um, uh, no, I, I, I think that the aforementioned excessive hype that Tim was talking about, and it was everywhere. It was advertised. The original animated thing is not going to be as huge as I would expect it to be, especially as it was also a 45-minute tech demo at times, if, yeah. if you're being really derogatory. So for that, I mean, for example, put it this way, I would be surprised if half the people working on it end up working on the Animatrix on certain shots in mm. different animated films that way, because it's, it's that kind of like, this is a cool concept, but not for a whole film. Um, so the, the thing and, it weirdly reminds me of, uh, mm-hmm. to a certain degree, is Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where you can see, like, the the fact that that was the first film entirely shot on green screen. You can imagine a lot of mm. filmmakers watching it and go, oh, they've done something really interesting here. I'm going to steal a bunch of these tools and do something better with it. <laughs> did Did you hear that about, um, there's an, this is a bit anecdotal here, but uh, the, I can't remember the name of the directors who did the Sky Captain thing. Mm. And this one guy runs up, he's really excited. And he's like, oh, my God, that's so crazy. You did all that. And he runs off and someone said, do you know who that was? And he's like, no, who? J.J. Abrams is like, who's that? He'll be big soon. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, he goes off and does a fucking Star War. Your um, kids are going to love it. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry. If you want some numbers, I'll say Blood, the Last Vampire, the animated version, maybe 50%, 55%. And the live action one would have been crucified by fans who would then appreciate what it was only like nine years later. And it'll be like 20%. You're not far off, Matthew. Okay. Okay. 47%. Ooh. For the original 2000 animated shorts and 25 mm. for the live mm. action on the old tomatometer. The audience score probably says a lot more, unsurprisingly, for the original is 66. Okay. And the live action is 33. Mm. Yeah. I don't, 60. Probably a bit more accurate. Yeah. I, I, I would have put it at the kind of mid 60s. So that, that, that seems fair. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not telling a specific story it's it's very much a, a, a pilot episode it's a, it's, mm. a, it's a, a snapshot of something that could be it's not necessarily a fully formed thing but it looks very fucking cool and for some people that's more than enough yep matt hey as our truly in the culture correspondent i, be- I believe his title is prince of the weeb <laughs> this is established now this is canon uh what what have you brought for us inuyashiki gesundheit Okay, this is actually a very... I mean, it's like, oh, Matt's going to be going for some arguably obscure thing, yes, but it's something from the fucking <laughs> 90s, isn't it? Some older thing that we've never heard of. No, it's a thing from three years ago you've never heard of. <laughs> so Inuyashiki is something I would genuinely recommend to both of you. Uh, both the anime and the live-action film. Interesting. I think they're both 
actually really good. We, we will discuss this when it comes to Rotten Tomatoes and my anime list, that's for sure. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not sure what I, that means. I, okay. was, I was pleasantly surprised. I was like, okay, 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 okay. I might okay. want to see this then. The anime is from 2017. It is about an old-ass dying... Okay, this is, it goes against everything in my being at the minute, living as a man in 2021, where the hero is an old man and the young man is, is, is a villain. It's like, no, 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 no. Old people are out to kill me. <laughs> Fuck you. Um, so, yes. It's when you become the old man. Uh, I am an old man. I? So That's why I'm in. Oh, you bastard. So, there's an old man called Ichiro, and he is... What's his surname, Matthew? Inuyoshiki. Hey, there we go. He is a very... Um, he's just a nice-ish guy, in that he's a very <coughs> uneventful person. This is This is back to the whole, you know... Are you the person who's committing it and giving you oral? Are you the heartfelt, most energetic, most person? It's like, no, I'm just a guy who life has passed me by. He's meant to be 50. He looks like fucking 90. Um, but... He's apparently 58, according yes. to the, the thing I've got in front of me. But he, but he, he looks 158. Yeah, he looks decrepit. And he's he's dying, basically. Um, he buys a house for his family because he's like, I'm going to die, but I want to make sure they're secure. And they are ungrateful shits. And it's the classic, you know, I'm an old. It's something that you know, an Alan Bennett sort of play in this country. It's like, oh, it's a bit sad being old, but you know what? People uh, might appreciate me when I'm gone. <laughs> Maybe they'll give a thought and think he wasn't all that bad. That's basically the, how this premise sort of See, starts. See salad fingers. Or <laughs> For I like a rusty spoon. <laughs> so this guy, only his only friend is a dog that his wife will let him keep. And while he's out in the park at one point. An alien ship accidentally smashes into him. And in in the briefest of moments, there's a conversation. You don't see the aliens, you just hear them. And it says, we just smashed through two life forms. Oh, oh okay, damn. We've got to get off as fast as possible. Just reform them. Just reform them, whatever we've got, and we're out of here. We only have weapons units, sir. Don't matter. We've got to go. And they're gone. And it is a bit of one of those classic things. I mean, you talk about like South Korean movies having always the statement about the div- the juxtaposition between the haves and have-nots. This is the classic, like, if you just crash land into someone's existence and you shake everything up, but you leave no form of, like, actual responsibility. Kind of like if you were America dropping a bomb yeah. on somebody, <laughs> occupying and then leaving. I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so he comes home and he's, suddenly his back doesn't hurt as much. And he realizes that after the incident, his glasses don't have any lenses in them, but he can see fine. It's the Spider-Man sequence in, in Tobey Maguire in, in, <laughs> in that Sam Raimi movie. But then he he finds himself just very, very thirsty. And then he, he goes to pet his dog and his hand turns into this huge weaponized gun like the fucking gun from Fifth Element. And he goes, oh, oh! And he's running around and he feels sick and suddenly the gun shoots out all the stuff he was eating from the day before. And then he goes to look in the mirror <laughs> and his whole body unfurls into this robot music oh and he's freaking out and the dog's like oh shit and then his uh i think his daughter comes in and he's like all reformed back he goes oh oh he's like why are you not wearing a shirt stop being weird <laughs> he's, he's like oh what am i what am, what is this now he then sees someone being beaten up in the park by these yakas of these evil, evil shits and he uses his powers for good basically he's an old man who was he's like old stan lee bringing his dukes up and he's like <laughs> You you leave him alone. He's like, all right, old man, you want to go as well? Um, and also, similarly, they were beating up this homeless man in the park, if I remember correctly, and they're going to they're gonna actually genuinely kill him. And he sends off these flares 
and at the same time hooks into the like, Iron Man style into the system, records it, visually spots all the kids and puts it in the news so they're all exposed for the press and they all get like, you know, expelled and arrested and stuff. So he's sort of like, oh, I could do stuff with this. But he's like actively trying to be a hero or not. I mentioned there were two people in the accident. The other one is a teenager and he's fucked up. He's a friend who loves manga and anime and stuff. And he is a fantastic, a fantastic villain. And one of the most quoted things is Bung. He doesn't understand what he is or what his powers is. He has the same sort of thing, but he uses it differently. He goes to his friend and says, look, see that crow in the distance? He goes, yeah. He puts up a little finger gun kind of thing. goes, Bung. And the crow dies. He goes, oh, oh yeah, I, I, I do know that reference. Yeah, so yeah. How, how did you do that? It's like, yeah. These kids beating you up at school. Be, yeah, I don't want to go back to school. He doesn't go back to school because he's being bullied. And then the you know he gets the bullies and he says, he says you want to go on the roof? Do you want to get beaten up as well? He says, no. And he just grips his arm and he says, apologize. And he's like, oh, it's a typical school bully thing. And then they're on the roof later. And he says, oh, it's fine up here. And he goes, bung, bung, bung. Like, okay, what are we doing here? And he says, hands and binoculars. He's looking around and seeing things. And then finally sees them on the floor shot dead effectively with his, this thing. And they're just, they're just like exploded out. And he just goes around he then breaks into someone's house and the, this is where we talk about the adaptation from film and live action in a second. He goes into the house of this family, uh, I think someone he goes to school with, shoots the mum, bang, she's dead. Goes into the bathroom where the dad is bathing the sort of like two or three year old daughter, this kid, bang. The dad leans forward and the kid can't get out and the kid drowns in the blood that the dad is bleeding out in the bath. Christ, while the, Matthew. While the kid is what the 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 the, the, the antagonist is watching, waits for the daughter to come home, and he and then he puts a gun to say, "I can kill you. I killed your whole family." Manga. What's your favorite manga? What do you like reading? And she says, "Like One Piece." Attack. Like, oh, One Piece. Who's your favorite character? I was like, "What the fuck is wrong with you?" <laughs> um, and then at this point, the old man comes in. And he shoots him as well, but then he realizes he can't kill him, and he's like, "Oh, so it must be it must must be working." He just runs around the street going bang, 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 bang. It almost becomes silly because it's so, he's like, literally, bang, by the way, is them saying bang or mm. peng in German. Peng. Yes. It's, yeah. it's the equivalent. It's saying bang, bang. That's the thing. He doesn't understand what he is. And by the end of it, they are having this huge, you know, what happens when you give powers to humans? Do you go full evil? Full, were you always mm. this way? That kind of thing. Not dissimilar to Death Note in that way. Very much so. Yeah. Um, it's 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 also CG heavy CGI animation, but done very well and quite seamless in places. You can tell what it is, but it's it's done pleasingly. It's very absurd, very unique visuals. Now, translating that to a live action film. This sounds like this would not translate to live action in a million years. It shouldn't. It shouldn't work. <laughs> it works so well. By <laughs> Jove, it does. 2018, the year later, they bring a movie out. So they almost like make these in, in tandem, as it were. And again, it's based on a manga, so they've already got the thing established. It's not entirely a straight adaptation because obviously there's no time. There are things that are decisions that framing, anime shots, all those sorts of things are abandoned in favor of something that's approximation. And that's where, again, we'll come back to what don't be pure with certain things, but not everything. So, for example, that kid drowned in the bath, that ain't in it. Um, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. It's still brutal. I mean, like really fucking hardcore brutal, but in a different way. In a, in a filmic way, shall we say, in, in a more... But it still ends with them, you know, having jetpacks coming out of their spines and flying around and punching <laughs> each other and shit. So it's still it's still nonsense by the end. It's still Iron Man shit at the end. But it still looks really, really good. There's also really strange moments where Ichiro realises that he can resurrect people, effectively. He, he sees a cat in the street and there's a little tiny mewling kitten and he just reaches his hand out and realises he can heal the cat. And he's like, oh, I can heal things. Whereas in the film version, 
accidentally resurrects a pigeon. He's like, oh, I can do this. And he goes to the hospital and heals a, a girl, basically, of her, her brain tumor, I want to say. And he's like, I can do stuff with this, but fuck, it's draining. It's, it's it, yeah, it's very interesting in how it's presented. The CGI is extremely good. It's 2018. So like we mentioned this on the, a little while ago with um, Jack talking about Full Metal Alchemist. We're at a stage now, the CGI is pretty impressive because even with a small unit, you can actually get quite decent visual effects and things and they know the limits and things. Uh, but the, the core is there, the core of the story of the powers and responsibilities and just this really brutally broken... Actually, both of them are kind of broken in a weird way and how society has rejected both of them and this is what happens when you reject people from the collective, when they're not part of the whole... Who knows what they could be doing? They could be an old man dying and not telling you. They could be a kid going out on a fucking, you know, killing spree. And if you're saying, well, that's a very Japanese thing, it's like, you have school shootings almost every fucking day in the States. You know, it's that that classic, like, it's it's relatable characters to a degree in, in that regards. But um, it's a fantastic anime and one of the very rare examples of a really, really good anime adaptation that's live action. It reminds me a little bit of something I read a while back, which was pointing out how like there's loads of evil versions of Superman out in fiction. Oh yeah, and there's yeah, yeah. quite a lot of evil versions of Batman as well, or, or like Batman, but something different happens and he gets fucked up. Whether those are like DC versions that are actual alternates to the character, or like file the numbers off and like here's our version of Superman, but he's fucked sure. up. There's very few. Here's what happens when you take a, a downtrodden geek. And give him powers, and it's actually awful. Which is basically the Spider-Man story, yep. you know. And yep. and if you look at a lot of you know internet culture and you know how people are today and incels and all that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. you got to be really fucking lucky with who you give those powers to. Because if you give them to the wrong nerd, you are going to have you know the superpower equivalent of mass shootings on your hands. Yeah. Um, and. You know, Chronicle is something that kind of touched on that a little bit. Mm, yes. Very much so, yeah. Um, and it sounds like this does a similar kind of thing where it's like, yeah, no, the, 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 with great power comes great responsibility is extremely true. And there's a lot of people out there who are not ready for the responsibility. Yeah. No, it does. It sounds like a really interesting one. It is. I don't, I don't want to spoil things, but there's a moment where the, there's a building, um, basically explodes and this, the, the old man character is trying to save this one character. Uh, just for the other kid to turn up and go bang, 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 not any fucking more. And he's like, no, I can bring her back. I can bring her back. It's like, bring her back from this shit. And he's mm. like holding her by the throat out the window saying, whoops. And it is, it also speaks a lot to the idea of generational divides, that punk kids are beating up old people and that's fucking disgusting. And that's kind of, you know, obviously we're talking about to a society where, you know, now on a Western side of things, like, no, our fiction is that kids are the future and they're going to have to escape these colossal, colossally oppressive adults. And it's like, yeah, that's also in Japan, but also you've got the thing where, like, you know, it's not the same. So, yeah, it's it, that kind of cultural divide might be a bit jarring to start with because we're not used to seeing that. We're used to mm. the heroes being the children, the Hunger Games style thing, like, oh, mm. these bastard adults, we have to take the system down. Whereas this one, like, no. But I do, I do genuinely recommend it. Um, I'm pretty sure... Not talking about being illegal here, folks. Inuyashiki is actually really hard to get a hold of. So I think you can watch the entire anime and also the film on YouTube. <laughs> you can. I just found it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I cannot stop it. It's, it's so wacky and so ridiculous. Cool dog. So it's in, in both the film and the anime. They keep that intact. They know what they know what people want. Cool man with like, 
Oh, I'm an old man. And oh, shit, I got a backpack. I'm flying away. And also, dog. Do you want to give us the, the numbers, Jack? I was going to say, the anime is actually available on Amazon Prime. Oh, brilliant. Huh? For, U- for UK listeners. So they also have Jim Saga on there as well. Included with one. Prime. Yes, it does. Yeah. Mm. Sorry, yes. Um, this is an interesting one. So the anime is called uh, Inuyashiki The Last Hero. Or La- Inuyashiki Last Hero, sorry. Currently has a 7.7 on my anime list. Mm. Popularity of number 320. It's a lesser known, mm. but obviously very popular. Still pretty new. Still pretty new. The film, however, is 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. <laughs> Audience score of 90. Holy shit. Tomatometer, 100. How many, how many reviews Gra- is that? Very small, I imagine, because it's... That's what I found so interesting. Like, oh, it's very obscure. But if you like it, you fucking like it. Yeah, (laughs) I, I, I genuinely feel it's it's the kind of thing that here's an interesting fact for you: the director of the live action version also directed a Death Note, not the Death Note. Yes, Uh, the the light up the the new world world one, which is the fourth one. Yeah, which fifth people mostly think is fine. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, but, the 2016 one Yeah, but I was going to say that Inuyashiki is actually so absurd So cool, so ridiculous And the execution is so faithful to the thing Again, I saw the anime first And then the film I knew what to expect So I wish I should have been more critical and riled and Like, oh, I don't want to see a retread I don't want to see this exact thing Same beat for beat And it's like, no, they've made changes The things here are correct The anime is still better Because it's more fleshed out And it's more detailed, obviously But the film is good It's kind of fun, but grueling and if you do want to get into the anime, it is only 11 episodes long. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it's a nice, tight little experience. It's, it's not a Naruto situation. Well, that is some good, some bad, some 100% on Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> live action adaptations of anime that I now want to go and uh, check out. I'm definitely going to go and check out Inuyashiki now. I'm, I'm very, very intrigued. It's fucking great. Yeah. I, I mean, with Blood Last Vampire, it's like. 48 minutes so yeah that's fucking great as we're going to check that out as well no harm in that (laughs) no skin off my back (laughs) um i i do not recommend the american death note (laughs) to say the least but i do recommend the japanese ones so folks Mm. go out and enjoy some live action anime if you so wish if you have any suggestions about particular good ones particular bad ones things you'd like to see some adaptations that haven't happened maybe some anime you'd like to see transferred into the live action medium let us know no matthew no. It's already had one, but it was not good. Good one. A good one. <laughs> Hits up on social media. We are Sequelizers on absolutely everything. On Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. You can go to Sequelizers.com. You can find the links there to our Patreon, to our Discord. There is a dedicated anime channel in the Discord if you want to talk anime. Mm-hmm. There's a films channel. Cover them both with live action anime. <laughs> it's, it's, it's everything you could possibly need. It's a great little community in there. Um, the three of us are always in there chatting and answering questions and True. discussing topics with the listeners and things like that. It's a, it's a great little group. So if you are into Discord and all that kind of stuff, I highly recommend joining us. You can also find our shop, find our t-shirts, our posters. We're working on some new merch for 2021. Exciting things are in the works with Mr. John Scarrett. <laughs> We've seen some teasers. We've seen some little... Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm so hyped. It's so, it's so cool. So exciting. We should have that coming out very, very soon. Fingers crossed. All that to look forward to. Like I said, sequelizers.com is the hub for everything sequelizers. You can follow me. I am JLW Chambers on, again, pretty much everything. If you want to chat anime, you want to chat Death Note theories and the analysis of the various <laughs> types of light, hit me up. Matt, how about you? Stogs. 
S-T-O-G-H-Z on the social medias. You can go to the redrighthand.co.uk to read my reviews. Again, people might say, there haven't been any recently. It's like, yeah, because there's nothing to recommend because people can't go to cinemas. I know you can watch things differently. That's not the point right now. And cheesemint.com. You can go and see the stuff we've made, including a multi-award winning live action anime web series featuring your boys. Um, Tim, if I was to draw you as a sweet, sweet nubile <laughs> boy, I got nothing. I got nothing. Tim, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, trivia underscore lad on Twitter is the best place to find me. Don't recommend me anime. I, there's already so many films I have to watch. <laughs> <laughs> there's just so much goddamn content. That, um, that is that is a classic. Someone who's like, I, I think there's even like a Mike Keep sketch where it's like, you know, oh, you need to watch this first though. It's like, yeah, I'm just, I'm just watching this now for now. Yeah. But yeah, uh, that's that's where you can find me and interact with me. You can just uh, keep an eye and an ear on your podcast feeds because we'll be back. We're getting pretty close to the start of season eight at this point. Mm. It's coming. Get hyped, ladies and gentlemen. Get hyped. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week with more interseason goodness. See you then. Sigoi. Oh,